0: action in the street is exciting, but Jesus between all the bleeding and fighting, I've been reading and writing,
1: we need to handle our financial situation, we'll be a nation of states, what's the state of our nation a past patiently, waiting, and a passionate, and every expectation, every action's an act of creation, I'm laughing in the face of casualty, sorrow. for the first time I'm thinking past tomorrow i not i not going here we go last.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley.
0: My name is Connor.
2: And today we are going to be continuing our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton.
0: During today's deep dive, we will be ambitiously (laughs) focusing on songs (laughs) 9 through 13, a winter's ball, helpless, satisfied story of tonight reprise and wait for it. As we discuss, we will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So no matter where or how you've experienced Hamilton, this is the perfect place for you to be.
2: Before we get started, now is a great time to remind everyone that Let's Dive Deep contains adult content in this collection of songs. One of our characters talks about fantasizing at night about another one of our characters. And that can get adult content-y really quickly. Also, there's some existential conversations about death thrown in somewhere along the way. So if you do not wish to to discuss those kinds of topics today, now's a great time to, to tune out of the podcast.
0: Additionally, if you don't want any spoilers, now is a good time to tune out, even though we don't really, really want you to. While our focus today is a specific number of songs, we will be discussing the musical as a whole as we add context to today's discussion.
2: If you are enjoying this podcast, you can find other Let's Dive Deep series in your favorite pod catcher. Up to the point of recording this, I have also completed a deep dive into the first season of Bridgerton that might tickle your fancy. And that can be found simply by searching Let's Dive Deep Bridgerton or looking at the show notes. And finally, please do not throw away your shot. If you are having a good time, go and leave us those five-star reviews wherever you are listening to this. It's one star for every person that bullies Burr. <laughs> in some of these songs follow the podcast on twitter at let's dive deep and send in your questions and comments to let's dive at gmail.com we would love to hear from you
0: okay that's all the chore and done so let's kick back relax maybe grab your beverage of choice i've got mine and let's dive deep into hamilton i
1: remember that night i just might regret that night for the rest of my days I remember those soldier boys tripping over themselves to win our praise. I remember that dream like candlelight, like a dream that you can't fight place. But Alexander, I'll never forget the. who has never been satisfied. I'm sure I don't know what you mean. Forget yourself. You're like me. I'm never satisfied. Is that right? I've never been
0: satisfied. My
1: name is Angelica Schuyler. Alexander Hamilton. Where's your family from? Honey.
2: Like we mentioned earlier, we are being very, very ambitious with the songs we are trying to cover <laughs> in today's episode, and it all starts with a winter's ball. We are back with Burr. He's kind of in a lineup uh, from the last song. Everyone fades away, and he comes in, and he is back to kind of... He's narrating the place still, but he's back to to tell, talking about Hamilton as if he's a bastard, an orphan, a son of a whore. Some of those things are true, some of those things are a bit of a exaggeration. Um, but what did you make of this early burr kind of going back in a in a song where they're mostly friendly to kind of describing Hamilton with those
0: terms? Yeah, it just goes back to that whole discussion about him being an unreliable narrator, right? I mean, this is a a clear picture of his duplicitousness. They're they're friendly but you do get a little bit of that that reminder of slander onto Hamilton's name because once again his mom's not actually a prostitute she wasn't a whore she was just previously married and so like in in the circumstances of the time he's illegitimate but yeah it's just kind of it, it's kind of mean what what bird does in in these introductions um i'm glad that you you brought up that that mode switching that narrator to character because that's something that that i want to get into on this track as well
2: we also have um i guess that's not the right the right starting point um do you think the function of describing hamilton that way as a narrator is is partly because that's what's most interesting because he's asking a question still right he's still asking that how did this happen and so if he if he put, like, how does an average guy, you're like, oh, that's kind of boring, right? I think that the more he slanders Hamilton here, true or not, the more interested you are in seeing how Hamilton kind of rises up above that to become... Whatever it is he's going to be. So how much of it do you think is a function of Burr actually believing this, or Burr as the narrator, or or Lynn Manuel as the writer, trying to trying to make Hamilton or trying to put him down a few pegs so when he climbs it it feels like a, a bigger achievement?
0: I think that it would be purely interesting if it was in someone else's voice. I think that the raw objective interest of these facts, such as they are, is tainted by putting them in Burr's mouth. And I think that's intentional on Len's part. I think that we're we're supposed to see that rivalry between Burr and Hamilton. I I think we're supposed to we're supposed to see that rivalry in this description and in Burr distorting things. Does that make sense?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That makes perfect sense. I was just it's hard to, it's hard to cause when things serve multiple purposes, sometimes it's hard to figure out how much of the thing is serving which purpose? Yeah. And so it's for sure. interesting because I think it does serve both. I think I think Burr truly is is being duplicitous, but also I think I think there's a function of Burr kind of putting Hamilton down a few pegs so when the climb happens, it's a little more exciting and it's a little more like, "Whoa, how did he do that?" I also really <laughs> I really get a kick here. I really do out of Burr being like, yeah, we're reliable with the ladies after the Angelica debacle from last... Mm-hmm. Co- like, what? What do you mean? We've <laughs> seen you interact with one lady and it went terribly for you, Burr. You are the most unreliable. Like, based on our one interaction, small sample size, sure, Burr, but you got to up your game before you can come and make these kinds of claims. At least Lawrence and Hamilton, who are also there haven't publicly kind of ruined the the facade come on man i def that's where he's the most unreliable actually he's just lying
0: well you know if you've if you've got a 400 batting average you're an amazing player right so what do you when you look at it across his (laughs) lifetime you know what i
2: mean i thought you i thought you didn't like baseball i thought i was the baseball guy
0: hey i know my audience man
2: and and the 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 (laughs) stats fit (laughs) <laughs> the stats fit.
0: Um, I think that number 1, it's a, it's that line is a great hook. It's a great catapult into the next segment of the tune. Uh, and I think it's important for them to have things in common to burr. I think it's it's important for him to to have this 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 push and pull between what's different between them and what's similar. Because as we'll as we'll go through and wait wait for it, I think that there is at least a modicum of admiration and envy that Burr has for Hamilton.
2: Yeah, I think the, I think the story Burr tells here, here's kind of where it starts, or maybe it started a little bit earlier and, and throughout the rest of the musical, is that there's a little bit of confusion there cuz he's trying to paint himself and Hamilton as different people but he's trying to 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 let us know or to make us feel that he also did similar things he's also as intelligent or as ambitious or whatever it is and that mm-hmm. he got the short shrift that Hamilton Hamilton got all of the glory and the fame or whatever word you want to put there and he didn't even though he's also blank and so while they're not the same person Burr definitely has an interest as the, as the narrator and as the the antagonist in the story of having a lot in common with Hamilton cuz his chief complaint is that they are actually quite similar yet one of them gets catapulted to the top right away and that starts here right Washington's right-hand man marries a Schuyler sister like it's starting in these um songs just before and after this but yeah it's it's definitely in his interest to to make him and Hamilton seem um if not similar people, definitely identical peers on the same level.
1: Yeah,
0: I think that there are some regards in which Burr considers himself superior, but far beyond being equals. But I think that in a, a bit of a meta way, I think part of it is the character of Burr trying to convince the audience that, that he is superior or Hamilton's peer. He's trying to make that case and once again get the audience sympathetic with him because Burr knows how the story ends at this point. He, His narrator version of himself knows what he's going to do in Act 2 and he's building equity with his audience so that when they judge him later, he's got a, a bedrock of empathy to fall back on.
2: And it works. It totally works, right? Like, the more I watch this, the the... Every time I watch through Hamilton, it it doesn't get, I don't get more kind of sympathetic towards him now. But for a while, every time I watched it, I was like, oh, you know what? Right? Like, do I think he should have shot Hamilton? No. But I understand at least what he's trying to say, right? I I get more kind of in in the weeds with his narration a little bit. And I, I start to feel like, the guy is making some good points at some, at some, at some points in the play. He's like, you know what? He's, he's, he's saying the right things here. Even if it's his weird narration of it or his unreliable narration, he is trying to build equity. And I I think it works because the more I kind of dive into Hamilton, the, the more I feel like Burr isn't really like, doesn't deserve to be as aggrieved as he is, but I can at least understand what the, what the, the cause of all his frustration and kind of pent up anger is.
0: Yeah, I agree. You can definitely, definitely see it. You know what else bugs me about Burr's treatment in this play is that he was an abolitionist, and we don't discuss that. And we go out of our way to discuss other characters' thoughts on slavery, and he was against it, but he doesn't get that credit.
2: Interesting. Was he more? Cause I, I know there's a lot of historical, like Lawrence was, was, was fully anti-slavery. I've heard just anecdotally. So I don't know how true it is that they, they do Hamilton a huge favor in this one. Not that he was pro slavery, but that it wasn't his chief concern, right? Like he didn't like, it was like at the bottom of the, the list of things he was going to tackle in his lifetime was that he was a bit busier with all of the other things. Yeah. he was trying to do so would, would you say that would you say that in this musical Hamilton gets a, a huge favor done to him in terms of um, his views on slavery whereas Burr gets the opposite
0: yeah I think so you know I think Hamilton's abolitionist thoughts and his desires are italicized emboldened and underlined and it's highlighted with his relationship with Lauren's and it just wasn't it wasn't that important to him compared to his other interests is my understanding anecdotally and i i know that it was you know he did uh, go on to um like work uh, i think he co-founded the first abolitionist society in new york so it's not it's it's not to say that it wasn't a passion of his but it wasn't his interest now it wasn't his 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 focus now at this during this part of his life and so it deserves to be mentioned it should be mentioned but you would think that it it only comes up near the end of the show not not this this repeated through line throughout the show I, I I guess that is just to say that I think Burr deserves more of the credit that Hamilton gets for it but i th- i think it's highlighted for hamilton because he is the protagonist i, I think that, that that's an understandable if unfortunate license to take here as I, as i guess what i am saying i just wish that part of burr's life got a little more credit because he did he he did enough he did enough wrong on his own he should get credit for the good things <laughs>
2: he i'm still on that angelica thing that he hasn't he hasn't come up from that yet this like specifically <laughs> taking the notes for this deep dive is the first time i've really been like wow that was mm-hmm. embarrassing that was an embarrassment he needs to he needs to rest he needs to sleep that off <laughs> shake it off and, and and like it's like after a big defeat in any kind of sports match when the coach goes in front of the the cameras and goes like all right that was bad We're not even going to watch the tapes tonight. We're just going to go home, sleep it off, and come back to the arena tomorrow because (laughs) that's what Burr needs to do here. So he's still, I'm still on that in my head. Um, But yeah, totally, totally right. And it's all, for me, anecdotal. I don't actually know a lot about how any of this happened. Um, I've definitely heard from a variety of people through just watching kind of whichever companies. Um, interviews with the cast or whatever it is that that hamilton's views on slavery aren't incorrect they're just exaggerated about how Mm -hmm. passionate he was um when when in reality he was focused on a few other things before he he ever ended up getting around
0: to it yeah you said it much more succinctly than i did thanks for that (laughs) (laughs) it's
2: okay i'm gonna end up rambling about philippa sue later so it's fine um At,
0: at this point in the the song here uh I've I've always been struck by it but the more I listen to it the more it bothers me. Uh burrs there are so many to deflower. That line bugs the shit out of me. It just oh, it does it's,
2: it's bad. It's, it's bad, a bad man. It's a bad, it's, not, it's a it's a bad look for our guy Burr here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not
2: great. To me It's it's always bothered me but it's always just stuck out as like oh this is 1780. This is this is like that's Right, that's Burr, like Burr, we talked about Burr last time. How did he describe himself in the last one? I can't remember exactly what the lines were, but he's he's a, he's a player. I, I remember at some point I had a reason to call him a fuckboy in the last recording. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. and so, like, I, I have that impression of him, so it doesn't surprise me that he would say that. Um, I, I also think, too, that combined with the, the looks and proximity to power aspects of it, that he he that like that's one third of his motivation, and it's and it's it's extremely unfortunate. But it does strike me as is true with the times and true with burst burst character as I as I know him so far.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it's definitely true with the times. I mean, the their their dad, uh Philip Schuyler, I mean, was a general, and like his house in Albany was used often for meetings and planning. So. If you're trying to rise through the ranks, which is a really good opportunity for Aaron Burr right now, since he has taken the step of enlisting, you, you want to be at the parties at the Skylar mansion as often as possible. And you want to be there courting the Skylar sisters because you never know when another general is going to be coming through. You never know when you're going to get your shot to go be somebody's aide de camp. And
2: we all know that this goes super well for Burr, and he marries you- <laughs> one of the Skylar sisters, and all of the <laughs> all of the effort he went through was all wor- was all worth it. And I-, I actually think the play ends after this song. Really, yeah.
0: Well, n- well, crap, man. Now they don't have to listen to the rest of the episode. Thanks, buddy.
2: <laughs> uh, there are so many little moments just in a Winter's Ball. A lot of these songs, Winter's Ball, Helpless, Satisfied. There's a lot of. Um, not only themes that repeat or or musical notes that repeat or lines of dialogue that repeat but actual choreography that repeats over and over and over again and the first one we get it's a really subtle one but to me it shows off just hamilton's hamilton's on the same plane as burr here in terms of he also wants to marry a Skylar sister that is mm-hmm. his he's in it and i i have a i have notes later um about his intentions uh and, and what he might be thinking going into this but there's a really subtle moment that gets played at least twice where where Lafayette is talking with Angelica and Hamilton walks up and like pushes him out of the way mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. behind it's behind the the, the main, I think it's Burr who's kind of standing center stage and, and taking up the spotlight, but Hamilton, you can see him in the back twice in this collection of songs. Like get out of here. I'm talking to the Skylar sisters, Lafayette. You're leaving. That is your, this is what you're doing right now. And it's a, it, it highlights Hamilton's character to me in just a subtle way. And what I, what I really noticed with these collections of songs, and it's true for the whole musical is just how much subtle choreography happens behind the scenes. I mentioned it in a couple or two episodes ago with everyone kind of crowding around Burr when he's at the table and they're like bullying him. And you don't really notice it unless you're looking at it and everybody on the stage. If you are not, actively like singing you have something like they're talking to each other and they're dancing around each other if you are on the stage you have something you are meant to be doing there's nobody there that doesn't have a a job that's functional to the story. So I would encourage people as they're watching these songs, if they've only watched them a handful of times, try not to focus on whoever's actually singing. Try and just look around in the background and see what the other cast of characters are doing because it really highlights the motivations there and and it's really efficient as well.
0: Mm -hmm. This is one reason I've never understood people getting bootlegs of musicals because you're missing the full picture, you know? And the energy and intention that this ensemble moves with and doesn't move with. Wait For It is an example of this. Their intentional static positioning in that song is just as dynamically powerful as their movement in this earlier section.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And with the Disney Plus cut, I have some notes later too. I actually find it really interesting. There are there are songs that really come alive more, I think, with the Disney Plus cut because you're right in the action and they're able to cut your view for exactly what they want you to see and notice. Whereas mm-hmm. when you go and see it live, um, it, it sucks, especially if you, if I only seen it, I've only seen it once live and that was my first time watching it. So I don't know how I'd feel going live a second time, but you're in a fixed position. And if you don't have loads of money, you're not exactly in the action and so you don't notice every little facial expression or every little movement because just from your point of view in the seats you can't see it or or, or really pay attention to it. And so the Disney Plus cut helps the audience pick out all those little moments cuz you're right there in the action and you can watch it over and over as many times as you want to.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I do like the filmed version although I wish that at some point they had they had put just one camera one wide shot in the duke's chair and just you could watch the whole show from there and so you had the option but like i i understand like they're not gonna they're not gonna do that they they filmed it one way for a reason you know it would have
2: been a lot cheaper and a lot less work yeah (laughs) i wonder if they i wonder if they considered that and that was the first plan and then somebody was like oh is that gonna look lazy like will people pay for that
0: i mean people people would have paid for it yeah um, that, I mean, but but this is better. I also like the uh, the crowd facing camera in the back of the set. You get these these great shots when people are going upstage.
2: Oh, well, the one with Washington specifically stands yeah. out to me. Um, all right, back, really to, back to back to ball. Real quick, oh, just in,
0: so I don't lose anybody, uh, the uh, the Duke's chair is uh, is a, a bit of theatrical jargon for uh, downhouse center um in like the um in the on the floor level and it's it's the the duke's chair is is what is the best seat in the house basically where you can see the whole stage where you've where you've got a um a really nice blend of sound coming from the stage you're kind of in the the middle of the audio mix and you can see the full picture comfortably without being too close or too far away and apocryphally this comes from uh, the uh, the Duke of Sax-Meiningen, um, George <laughs> II or Georg, um, who was a big patron of the arts and the theater. So that's that was just a little 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 trivia corner with Connor there.
2: <laughs> that uh, that name is what's that guy's name again? Can we get uh, a read?
0: The- the Duke of Sax-Meiningen, um, yeah, <laughs> that's George awesome. George yeah, the I believe the George
2: is a little less exciting, but the Sax-Meiningen, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's incredible.
0: He was, um, I mean, he was he was a nobleman and he was wealthy and he was, but he's he's mostly he's known for um, being a patron of the arts,
2: and he's so. immortalized in theater jargon till the end of time. Exactly. Or until someone more important sits in that seat, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, with uh, <laughs> with this song, I think it, obviously all these songs lead into one another. So there's not a lot of big uh, transitions here. But I do want to talk about Hamilton's power play a little bit as we go into this. Because it is very unclear, purposefully unclear. And it's a full credit to how amazing this musical is. That Hamilton's intentions are... Are very mixed. Is he doing this for love? Is he doing this for status? Is he doing it for a little bit of both? Is he going in? He's like, I will marry any of the Skylar sisters. I do not care. This is what will help me get to where I need to go. Is he going into this like, hey, you know what? I'm I'm predisposed to to wanting to to marry one of these fine uh Skylar sisters, but I also want to have that connection there. It. it 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 really colors how we view Hamilton as a person, but it's left unclear. You're not really sure exactly what his intentions are. And I love that going into the rest of these songs. And it only gets more complicated, right? When he when when he interacts with Angelica and Satisfied, then you're like, oh, okay. You're just adding more layers. They never get peeled back. And so here is where you're first, like watching him go up and push Lafayette out of the way. You're like, oh, he is here on a mission for a Skylar sister. And I, I find that really interesting to kind of track through, through these songs.
0: I find it interesting too. I also find it accurate. He was a dog. I mean, he really was. And I think that all things can be possibly true here. I think that it's very possible that love came out of trying to find status because my understanding is that he and eliza had an interesting and complex and weird at times but genuine loving relationship
2: right sure and this isn't a time where people often marry for love it's Mm -hmm. like it's all a status game like it's all dads trying to marry their daughters off to wealthy kind of land owning people who can support them. It's all men trying to marry a woman with a with a father or a family or a title that they can inherit. It's all like it's all power plays for everyone. It's not just Hamilton. Right? But as an audience in 2021, it's interesting to just track what his intentions are here cuz they are left purposely a little bit unclear.
0: Right, for sure. And I think that the the show goes into this a little bit. But you don't, you know, they don't have footnotes at the bottom of the stage and they shouldn't, right? Again, you're, supposed to, you're not supposed to bring too much into the play from outside. You're supposed to deal what's with what's on the page. And I believe we discussed that in episode one. Uh, they do say the Skylar sisters are the envy of all, okay? That, that is enough for me as an audience member. Now, that being said also don't forget philip schuyler is a huge damn deal he planned the invasion of quebec one of the first major offenses in this war like he's he's seriously the man um and uh uh uh, oh funny enough though he got sick after that um and that's why montgomery took over and had he not gotten sick hamilton would have served under his future father-in-law in that offensive yeah, um, didn't he?
2: did he also have a bunch of sons? I think he. I think in real life, like he has a bunch of sons. Angelica is already married when when she meets Hamilton. Like, there's a lot y- going yes. on here that kind of colors, right? So, the, the adaptation yeah, yeah. here is very impressive. but a lot of a lot of how these people are meeting like i said lafayette is not actually bros with these guys he doesn't show up (laughs) right and so there's a lot of adaptive choices to add to the suspense or just to make the the musical better but not everything that's happening here is perfectly accurate to how it happened
0: yeah and i think that this is better um yeah skylar has like 14 15 kids at this point he's got three or four sons okay but but i i really do i think that this ratchets up the tension it ratchets up the 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 drama in the narrative between these three people angelica hamilton and eliza and if you if you're trying to tell a compelling story this is successful this works and i and i i think that angelica coming uh coming out of helpless is more sympathetic to us because we feel that she's under strain that we would not feel if if we knew that hurt that she did have brothers you know what i mean like a right, really the
2: adaptive choice here is brilliant it's yeah. just good to acknowledge that it's an adaptive choice for this musical right when we're discussing later like why does angelica not end up with hamilton in the play There are reasons, but in real life, part of it is that she's already married, and that's a pretty... Mm -hmm. That's not a fun thing to have in this musical, right? You want to feel like, oh, uh, Angelica kind of threw away her shot here, and this is why, and if the reason why is, oh, she's married, that's not as interesting, I don't think. Anyways, let's... I You have loads of notes, sorry, you have loads of notes here on Winter's Ball, just in terms of all kinds of technical choreography... Kind of transitions um, was there anything there that you really wanted to to dive into before this one finishes up
0: yeah I think just to set the stage for helpless right I think that there's a a dance that is done before we even get into helpless that is setting us up showing us what we're going to see and it's a it's a dance between focus and transition and we start they start setting up these almost parlor tricks of bringing your focus over here, passing the ball, you know, someone walks into a spotlight, they take the spotlight from someone else and then they move it over here. And there's, and this is going to stay with us for the next 10 minutes, maybe. And it's set up so efficiently in, in one minute. And I, I think it's worth, you know, just, just calling attention to that. It's, it's something that, again, it's unique to watching the show. You don't get it on the soundtrack. On the soundtrack, you also get some, some musical cues as to what's going to come next. But, I mean, there's this one moment that I wanted to point out was Howell Binkley doing his magic again. Um because uh this is that's in helpless never mind i'm getting ahead of myself here
1: Um, (laughs) They're so interconnected so like these so 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 connected right
0: it's really really, really really difficult um but this is this is a good way to um uh to transition into to helpless i guess but also hamilton uh takes the story from burr again uh
2: what a what a dink it come happens on.
0: again come you on know.
2: hamilton this is the third time dude yeah God.
0: uh and is it a question of if Burr or, or which one hey that
2: is hey. okay i want everybody who's listening to this episode of the podcast who keeps saying that lin-manuel is not as talented as the other singers and actors <laughs> in this play that, I feel like, is probably technically true, and I think you can, you can hear it when he doesn't have the same actual, like, singing chops. But his lines have to be delivered, right? He has a few lines, the you're like me, um, or um, what is it? What is the line? We'll get it to when we get to satisfy, but there's a lot of lines that he has to say, like, fairly deadpan and mm-hmm. fill with emotion and, like, try to do that. It's very, very difficult to do. And Lin-Manuel absolutely nails it every single time. Just so many subtle he's adding four or five different different layers to all of these lines that he has to deliver in a fairly deadpan way like is it a question of if burr or which one it's like he's he's confident he's arrogant he's funny there's a lot going on there he's kind of facetious he's kind of like he's also trying to like like okay come on burr like you you don't think i got game here like come on what who do you think i am there's a lot going on in that line and if you, like, if you try and deliver that the same way as he does, it's very difficult to do. And so I just want to point that out, that while, while I don't think Lin-Manuel has the same right, like whatever, I don't know how vocal terms range as um, some of the other <laughs> singers in this musical, the way he delivers his, his less difficult lines is, is a masterclass in kind of the acting and the singing coming together. And so I just want to point that out while we're, while we're on some of those lines.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you did. He it's he uh he has a particular set of skills, you know, like Liam Neeson, you know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. But, Um, you know,
0: noticeably most of the show, the the next three we're gonna hit, uh Philippa, Renee, and uh Leslie, he stays out of their way. You know?
2: Oh, yeah, he's not I'm not trying to tell people that he is the same on the same level as them because he's not. Right. I'm just saying the way his skills are in a different thing that he brings. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to call that out because I never see that kind of feedback on Hamilton. I always see the comments that are like, oh, Lin-Manuel sucks, boo. And never like, wow, the way he blends kind of the talking, the singing, and the acting together for some of those lines that he has to deliver, that's very hard and he nails it every single time.
0: Yeah, for sure. While we're dunking on haters, I will also remind people that Ron (laughs) Chernow Uh, signed off on the musical so if you don't like the historical changes tough um go read the book you know
2: haters consider yourself dunked on
0: dunked on you
2: have been dunked on that's
0: (laughs) so helpless all right yeah okay let's let's transition
2: into helpless All right, so we are here with Helpless, which it's 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 very hard to separate this song from Satisfied. These songs are going to take us a long time to get through. So again, apologies if we miss your favorite part of the song or your favorite little bit of choreography. Every time I edit these podcasts, there's a million things that I wish I'd brought up that I forgot to mention. So... We're just all working through this together. Um, But I'm going to start out with the most important thing to me because it's the first thing I wrote down in my notes. And I put in all caps, I have the biggest crush on Philippa Sue, my Lord. (laughs) And so if you guys are wondering how I'm about to feel about Helpless, uh, it might not have anything to do with the dialogue, the choreography, the, the place in the story, any of that. Um, I think it might just be, I have the biggest crush on Philippa Sue. And then at the end of all my notes, I put, finally, Philippa Sue kicks ass. That is it. That is all. So that's where I'm starting with with <laughs> Helpless. Let's start with Philippa Sue. It's her first big time to shine. She gets a lot of range in the musical. This is a very upbeat, happy song. Later, we're going to get burned from her, which is a very sad, somber um kind of occasion there so she gets a lot of range the way she kind of at the very end when when she kind of rounds out the the whole musical for us it's absolutely incredible to to watch so while we're on philippa sue in her first kind of big moment let's chat about her and about the idea of helpless. The song is called "Helpless," and normally when I think of the word "helpless," I think of it in a very negative connotation. But mm-hmm. I think this song is trying to push it on you—not um, really push it on me—as if it's it's hard to accept. But in a more positive co- connotation, she's falling in love. She's seeing this guy, and she like she's helpless against the love that she feels or the attraction that she feels. So it's it's a weird kind of flip on the word "helpless," which normally to me is a very negative word or implies something negative but in this case it's a very positive term to kind of sum up what's going on in this song
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it definitely comes across too. you know you have the you have the feeling that she had absolutely no chance but to fall in love with this guy and anecdotally that was true for a lot of women that met him you know he was he was a bit of a lothario so and it it's just her you know we talk about charisma and we talk about the uh the, the the relationships between these actors in this show and i mean she just looks like she's radiating you can even hear it in her voice she just sounds you you can you can hear this this effervescent hope and joy coming out of her i find it quite charming
2: the the way Sue acts this is incredible just Exactly what you said. I don't need to add to it. Just you understand exactly how she's feeling about this situation. And because we know that things things are going to get worse before they get better, I would argue that actually this is the high point for her, actually, now that I think about it. Because we're about to go, maybe maybe when they're doing their little thing with Philip on the piano later is another mm-hmm. high point. But like this, this is pretty much as good as it's going to get for Eliza in terms of just pure kind of euphoric joy without having to worry about anything bad happening to to anyone she loves or worried about being cheated on by her husband so this is this is where she's happy and euphoric and falling in love and that it's just a very hopeful the way she acts this is very hopeful and very cute and very fun and i I really appreciate it. And also, again, Lin-Manuel writing this play, giving us lots of exposition in a short amount of time that's not boring. She starts the song with, I have never been the type to try and grab the spotlight. It's just like her saying something about herself, but it really just fits in with like, we were at a revel with some rebels on a hot night. Like It, it mm-hmm. fits right in and it's, it's it's pure exposition. So you know more about Eliza because this is the first time you're really meeting her um, separate from her sisters. And it, it's just wonderful stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. I really couldn't agree more. Talking about that hope and how things are good here, I like that most of her, or at least as far as I can count, I haven't broken it down exactly, but most of her scoops uh, throughout her uh, throughout Helpless always go up. Um, like the, the less on Helpless and Eyes, a lot of her lines have this upward uh, pitch to them, upward momentum to them. Really looking forward, and things are climbing. Things are getting better, and I think that supports well your you know thinking about your last good day idea. um That yeah, maybe this is her like last best day is is the day of her wedding. Um, yeah,
2: it's always a concept that's always stuck with me is the last good day from from Fault in Our Stars. I don't know what it is, but like even if you just think about it, right? I can remember my last good day. The best day I had before COVID happened and the lockdown, I can remember that day. And I want to go, like, I just, I want to go back to it because I didn't know at the time that a week later, like, COVID would happen, Mm -hmm. right? At the time, I was just enjoying that day. And so, like, I, I, that concept, it just, it really sticks with me and I'm not sure why. I've only ever read or watched Fault in Our Stars once, but it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just stuck with me and that's exactly it. Right, this is a great example of I'm like this this play will will take time to cut over like almost a decade at some point so there's a lot that gets cut but within mm-hmm. the context of what we get in these two and a half hours this is kind of her last good day and what's key is that she doesn't know it she's just enjoying it she's here she's having a good time she's I and Hamilton her sisters figuring that out for her it's incredible it's amazing and yeah it this might yeah, going back to that, it, it's a concept that always just sticks with me, but this this is this would be it for her, I think.
0: Mhm. I wonder if Hamilton has the same love at first sight feeling that she does because we get it explicitly from her. And I th- I I wonder if we are intentionally made to wonder about how he truly feels. Just going back a little bit to what you were saying earlier about his intentions. It's never explicitly answered, and I have to, I have to wonder if that's on purpose.
2: I think, I think this song clears it up a little bit because we get... So we know, based on what we've seen, that he starts off by, by pushing Lafayette out of the way to go talk to Angelica. Mm-hmm. Then Angelica introduces her to Eliza, and all he cares about is the name Skylar. When she introduces herself as Elizabeth Skylar, he goes, Skylar? Like, fuck yeah. right? He doesn't mm-hmm. care that it's Eliza Skylar or Elizabeth Schuyler or Angelica or Aunt Peggy or right like I don't think he cares like the, he repeats the word Schuyler as if to make sure right and then when when Angelica says my sister he's like yes score like I don't think he cares I don't think it's love for him I think it might I think it might be I think he might go for all we know again it's left intentionally vague he might think she's attractive or this is the first time they're meeting obviously so he doesn't know anything about her but mm-hmm. he, they, they take the time to repeat like Skylar is back to back, right? Elizabeth Skylar, Skylar, like oh cool, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I think I think it's a little more clear here that he's 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 in it for the Skylar part of it as well yeah. as maybe for the Eliza part of it.
0: And our our viewing of this moment is not necessarily tainted yet because we haven't gotten satisfied. But he doesn't, you know, he he does not give Eliza the same uh, amorous conversation that he gives to angelica
2: no it's a lot we more
0: tame here
2: it's a lot more tame here and it's not it's not game recognizes game we'll talk about mm-hmm. it in satisfied one of my biggest things there is like oh these are two heavyweights recognizing each other for who they are and that they are similar people oh yeah that they are finding their contemporaries in this world at this moment right i don't get any of that that heaviness here i get What I love about this from Eliza's perspective is is it's a very relatable song. We've all been there, right? You're at a dance, you're falling in love, you have this crush on somebody, you see somebody from across a room that you've never met and you're like, wow, like they're beautiful. Like everyone's had those moments that I think can really help bring you into this song. And so everyone has had a moment in their life where they're being like Eliza in Helpless, which I think is why this song resonates so well, at least with me. I mean, other people who might watch the play obviously have different opinions on all the the songs. But I think this play is one of the most, or this song is one of the most relatable songs because we've all had not the exact situation, but Eliza-like moments in our lives. And then Hamilton, it's the exact opposite here. And we don't, again, when you watch this the first time, you don't know what Hamilton and um, Angelica have talked about because you get that after, Mm -hmm. right? But yeah, Hamilton is in this here and he's like, he's in on the Skylar name. And then later in Helpless, he he kind of goes like, hey, I ain't got shit, darling. Like, are you cool with this? I don't have, like, you are, <laughs> it's almost like, hey, I'm not providing the land, the money, or any of that. That's kind of what you're doing.
1: <laughs> That's your role, right? I just got the nice
2: eyes and the Helpless and all that stuff. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't think he's in it. He's not, he's not, he's not recognizing game here. He's recognizing, like, a Skylar wife. But he's mm-hmm. not recognizing game in the same way that that he does i guess the word game is like a weird connotation but like i mean like as in like game recognizes game yeah not not like he's a hunter or anything that's not what i mean anyways um, yeah
0: or they're or they're scheming against each other or no, they're that's scheming what they're against each yeah. other i mean
2: like i mean like game recognizes game if you've heard that phrase before
0: yeah yeah i uh, i'm tracking you're 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 talking about the their first Look their their first meeting. I love that moment and and part of the reason is you have this you have this upstage left to downstage right line, and you have Angelica between Eliza and Hamilton, and Hamilton and Eliza see each other. You have this great lateral sting from the lighting design, and Angelica immediately turns and sees her sister's face, which will be referenced again later and referenced in song and there's so much packed into that one moment and it's just another one of those things that is that is reprised and reversed later on you don't when you watch it the first time you don't realize how impeccably well done the staging is until it's unpacked again in the second part of this you know couplet of songs right it's, it's, it's so good. So, I watched so good. A,
2: I watched a cast interview when Hamilton was released. The cast went and did all their, their media tour online. Right. And they were with all like vanity fair and all those people as a cast. And one mm-hmm. of the people asked like, Hey, could you guys, if someone said like, you guys got to go tomorrow night and you got to do helpless and satisfied. Like, could you do it? And all of them were like, absolutely not. Like that requires so much coordination and rehearsal and like it's just impossible to just do and so even the cast is like out of all the things in this musical i'm assuming these questions are like fairly pre-screened as well and so Mm -hmm. like it's something they know they're going to be asked about and they singled out these two songs as the ones that are the most difficult to do over and over and over again without the rehearsal and the practice and the the very precise choreography because it has to track because it get like you said, it gets unraveled in, in satisfied. And mm-hmm. so it needs to be recognizable subconsciously like, Oh, I've already watched parts of this because then that helps you highlight what's different about it the second time. And mm-hmm. so it's just a very, very well done and very complex choreography that, that underlines everything that's happening here.
0: Yeah. Well, and part of that is because it's, it's complex unison choreography. And this is something that they used a great effect in uh, guns and ships as well. There's, they're impeccably timed. And for me, uh, it's the, it's the hands going up, man. Uh, when they're all lifting their, their fingers. Oh, it's just amazing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just the, the amount of time and energy they put into learning this must have been ridiculous. I don't know how long they spent in the rehearsal hall just learning these two songs.
2: Well I mean what in a rehearsal hall would you even have the rotating stage? I'm assuming they had to learn them twice. Like once like once without the 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 rotating stage and then a second time later.
1: Yeah,
0: part of it part of it's going to depend on how deep your producer's pockets are, you know.
2: <laughs> well they they're a lot <laughs> deeper now.
0: Yeah, for right? sure. Right. If
2: you if you if you the next crew that 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 uh, gets cast for Hamilton will definitely have that stage in rehearsals. <laughs> <They will. laughs> for sure yeah um, oh
0: you you might hear the dogs barking in the background but oh, it's oh, all good
2: we love dogs <laughs> we
0: if you're listening to this indeed. podcast
2: and you don't love dogs you're just you better have stop
0: to... listening to the podcast you don't that's not dogs.
2: what i was gonna say i was <laughs> gonna say that's cool you're just gonna have to bear with us because we love dogs <laughs> so there are dogs present in the vicinity um one of the things i really like about this this song and this is this is a really good show don't tell exposition this is the kind of stuff i'm into because i really dislike just uh, hamilton again is the exception to the rule because they do a fantastic job of like just telling you things about characters in a fun way Mm -hmm. but the the um the um my sister made her way across the room to you and i got nervous like it's It's just a way of letting us know, like, oh, Eliza is the younger sister, or at least the more timid one. Angelica Mm -hmm. is the power player. Like, this does not work. Like, Eliza and Hamilton don't end up together if if Angelica doesn't cross the room, grab Hamilton, like, yank him over to her. Right? She would have been, in my my headcanon, she would have been content. She would have come to this ball. She would have looked at Hamilton. She would have had her. We fell in love for a, a night moment that everyone in their life has and then she would have left and never met Hamilton again and been totally fine with that and it's Angelica who it's her her narrating Angelica crossing the room that tells you everything about herself in terms of what she is hoping to do here and and where she's gonna act to make this thing with Hamilton in work it's really well done
0: Mm -hmm. I agree it's almost as if she's receiving permission from Angelica to be with Hamilton. Angelica gets first dibs. You know, Eliza said, this one's mine. So she's saying, I I want him. But in that moment, there's, she's showing there, there is a little bit of concern, right? There's fear that maybe Angelica, he might fall for Angelica first.
2: Yeah. And not in terms of motivations entirely, but the, the, the um, similarities here between uh, Hamilton and Burr aren't lost on me either. You have Angelica, who's the Hamilton foil, and not that Eliza's the Burr foil, but in this moment, right, Hamilton is there, and they both want him. Which one of these characters will actually go and get him? Which one of those two characters will actually pick a side and commit to it and go and do it, and which one of the two characters is kind of like, eh, like, I'm not sure, I don't know, right? Angelica's the Hamilton character. Angelica goes and gets Hamilton. Doesn't Mm -hmm. hesitate. Like, she would have totally done that herself, regardless of Eliza right eliza is not going to do that eliza is more like burr in this moment and so it helps to have characters that we've already met that we can we can foil against angelica and eliza here because it helps kind of at least in my head helps kind of keep it straight as to what's going on and which characters intentions are, are which
0: yeah for sure angelica doesn't hesitate she exhibits no restraint
2: she shoots her shot takes her shot yeah absolutely shooting 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 your shot is like a much more shooting your shots a much more modern way of saying that throwing away your shot is a very hamilton specific line Um, so i will get those confused multiple times i apologize i'm gonna see myself out now anyways um, i like this moment from from angelica and hamilton she's taking him over and again we don't have any of the context about what they've already talked about but he's mm-hmm. like, he's almost like, he's almost a little confused. Like, why aren't we a thing? Like, where are you taking me? Yeah. Like, why, yeah. aren't we, why, why can't we stay right here? I'm fine here with you. Like, wh- where, why do we have to go anywhere? And then she says, I'm about to change your life. And he's like, oh, fuck, I'm in. I'm in yeah. on this.
0: Yeah, I, my, I, I, I fundamentally believe he, he believes she's about to take him out to the Rose Garden that's for my sure 100 yeah. percent.
2: that's my head cannon too that's, <laughs> so it, it's interesting because when i watch this play um uh, for those of you who work with me or for those of you i know people who work with me listen to this um what you guys don't know is the audience who, who don't work with me irl is that i one of my favorite things to do is, is go around my workplace it's a huge like forested area so you can just go around and like just sing hamilton and it's very very fun and my staff hates it because <laughs> i'm not a very talented singer <laughs> And so we often watch Hamilton at the beginning and the end of last season, we did like a staff night where we watched Hamilton. And when we get to satisfied um, and um, Hamilton says, like you strike me as a woman who has never been satisfied. One of my staff yelled, Oh, so she's a virgin. And that's interesting because that's not how I interpret satisfied in that song at all, but I interpret like the sexual undertones here. This is where mm-hmm. I get them. Like I think Hamilton fully thinks Like I'm about to change your life is like oh we're gonna go we're gonna go kind of get busy in the rose garden is a good example like that's where we're headed, and it doesn't turn out like that. But that's this is this is more where I get some of those sexual undercurrents that like the sexual tension is definitely here in these songs, right? But it's interesting Mm -hmm. that the people I worked with did not did not feel the same way. They got them insatisfied using like a very I don't use the word literal but a very narrow view of what the word satisfied could possibly mean
0: well i agree with your coworker on satisfied because i see both meanings in that word when he says that i completely see it because that word does i mean of, of the period that's exactly what that word meant
2: oh this will be an interesting little maybe disagreement then we'll get to over there
0: yeah. i like that i like I just, when that
2: happens i like yeah when we, we kind of diverge a little bit Um, i know
0: me too and uh, so far flotilla is winning by the way
2: (laughs) (laughs) look i am so dug in on battalion being the correct line no one could change my mind a hundred thousand people could write in and be like yeah it's flotilla you idiot and i do not care Uh, (laughs) back with um also battalion heads come on we need a little more love if you're out there like email tweet Right, put a message in a bottle, send a smoke signal, whatever you got to do. Your vote counts. It's fine. You vote by any means necessary in order for Flotilla not to win. And I will, I will be your fearless leader in, in that effort. Um, with this moment here, instead of going out to the rose garden, Angelica introduces Hamilton to Eliza. Hamilton gets really excited when he hears the word Skyler, and then. She says, the way Angelica says, I'll leave you to it. She's like, ah, oh, fuck. They're, they're going to get married. They're in. Like, it took a 30 seconds. Like, they are fully in. And then Eliza, like, Hamilton, Hamilton doesn't hesitate here. Eliza just immediately goes in, right? She's writing letters nightly. Like, this is a little relationship going on. How do you mm-hmm. feel about, like, hey, Hamilton, Hamilton's a little romantic here? Now, obviously, he's playing. He's going in hard for the, the Skylar name. But he's good at it, and he's romantic, and he's the he's the opposite burr Burr messed this whole situation up when he had his chance, I mean not the right not the right place, time attitude approach, any of it, but mm-hmm. Hamilton here just immediately like seems fully comfortable with this whole situation.
0: yeah, I think it's another instance of all things are true here. yes, he was a playboy before and a big one. And he was, you know, out to get his and also out to get some status. But I also believe that this is genuine love here, genuine courtship. And I also believe him when he he talks about the entire family bringing out a different side of him. I I, I think that the show endearingly makes us believe that he is loving having a family just like he was loving having a group of friends. And even more so now, right? I, I do, I I believe in this genuine love. I think it's, in, I think it's charming.
2: Absolutely. We also get Angelica. This is kind of a precursor to Satisfied where we really kind of get into it here. But this is where Angelica kind of, and this is where the play diverts from reality a little bit more, but like it starts this really awkward love triangle thing, right? I'm just saying, if you really love me, you would share them. Right It's a yeah. funny kind of between sisters line, but this whole play is definitely a little weird when it comes to the love triangle and what what are Hamilton and Angelica kind of doing on the side like i it's it's weird and complicated and very funny at times, and it's a it's a cool little thing to have going on but this is our first kind of introduction to Angelica also really being into Hamilton, and we'll get her lament about it later. But now this is our first introduction to Angelica also being just as into Hamilton for, for different reasons, but just as into Hamilton as Eliza is.
0: Yeah. So, so let's talk about that for a second, because I think that it's fascinating and I may be way out on a branch here, but I think it's expressed in the way Philippa sings that boy is mine because According to legend. To the
2: proverbial uh, legend out there.
0: To the proverbial legend, there there was an understanding that Angelica and Hamilton had feelings for each other. And and that Eliza enjoyed this because she was so proud to have such a a catch of a husband. Because Angelica's husband uh, was not. Um, Her husband, um, Barker? Um, Some, some,
2: I get this. What's awkward, what I don't actually understand is that just within how this play is done is that she goes off to London with this guy, her husband, uh which makes me feel like he's British, but she, she, her dad's like a known rebel. I'm not sure how that works exactly, but anyways. Well.
0: I mean, you had you had a bunch of people going on on both sides here. And um, one of the yet yeah, one of the reasons that they elope is because um, Skyler didn't really trust this guy. He was a um, he was an arms merchant and he dealt mostly with the American and the French. But Skylar wasn't like too crazy about him. So they elope in 1777 78 one of those anyway before 1780 a winter's ball anyway not important it's not important out signed off on it what is important <laughs> is that um it doesn't change the like the the show does get into this like interesting odd relationship like it's not it's not a menage a trois anything like that like they weren't like eliza and angelica there's nothing there but like eliza and hamilton would write letters to angelica together eliza knew about hamilton and angelica's correspondence she knew about it intimately and and she gave it her blessing it's like this really really odd situation it fascinates me
2: My only evidence for any of this is Lin Manuel on drunk history, (laughs) which (laughs) maybe, maybe not the most historically accurate. No, that's not.
0: That's that's not the. This is all churnal, man.
2: Uh, yes, but like the way the way Lin Manuel describes it there is is much more succinct and easy to understand. He pretty much says there in just a few lines. He's like angelica and hamilton definitely at least at least liked each other right <laughs> they were at least into each other and they definitely mm-hmm. wrote notes to each other expressing that if not for any reason then just to fuck with people because eliza thought that was funny as well yeah That's i've never seen what he this in, in drunk history
0: i'm gonna have to check out this episode i've never seen it
2: have you seen drunk history in general though i'm so yeah. sad they cancel it it's very funny
0: yeah i've seen a couple episodes yeah i um i think with jenny slate maybe i'm trying to remember
2: yeah but um, lin-manuel goes over this specific kind of it's only 10 minutes he has 10 minutes to talk about like, all of hamilton well wasted and he spends a good portion of it on this little <laughs> love triangle and so he kind of drunk explains it very succinctly that's true fun. Of-
0: well it's you know uh, it's it's interesting to more people than just me apparently yeah it's very well done
2: um what else do we get here we get hamilton right and this is actually a very fascinating difference between the soundtrack and the on stage disney plus cut of it because we had it earlier i forgot to mention it it's one of those things with the original story of tonight in the soundtrack it just cuts into the story of tonight and in the in the disney plus cut or, or when you go and watch it live you get more of an introduction to the song, and everyone's laughing, and you get a you get 10-20 seconds to kind of sit with the the mood a little bit before the mm-hmm. song starts. And here in the in the soundtrack, you get Hamilton like, yo, in the background, like before this happens. So you know before it happens that Hamilton's about to enter the action here and and, and sing whatever he's gonna sing and say whatever he's gonna say. But in the Disney Plus cut, it kind of just Eliza just kind of turns around and Hamilton's just there. And he just starts, like, unloading about all these things he he doesn't have. Do you mm-hmm. think this is a – what do you think this is, right? Like, Do you think this is a necessary level of honesty just so everyone's on the same page? Do you think this is Hamilton being like, hey, I just want to be up front so when we end up broke and homeless forever <laughs> that that you understand that, that that's what I'm come, kind of bringing in here, right? How do you feel about Hamilton who, who, is, who has tried not to be overly – kind of vulnerable so far kind of just lay it out for eliza that he doesn't he's not bringing a lot to the table here
0: i think this is true to form i think this is alexander hamilton saying a lot more than he needs to say which he always does he's vulnerable he's finally comfortable being vulnerable with her and he just lets it all out uh i think it's sweet i think it's wonderful i think it's partly unnecessary i'm also getting tired of it because he's (laughs) Ar- he's he's arguably the second most important man in the American war effort right now, and he needs he needs to shut up and be grateful for what he's got. He's got a really good job, you know. To me, that doesn't Uh, vibe with his
2: character, though. Like, I don't think I don't think people as ambitious as Hamilton ever are ever like ever satisfied with where they're at. No matter how much they get, they never feel good about it. They always. I
0: know. I know why it's there. I know. I know that. I I know it's on purpose, and I know it's good, and I know it works. It It just bothers you. It just bothers me. Absolutely.
2: Fair enough.
0: (laughs) Just like, hey, man. Like, but yeah, I think it's. I think it's very, very sweet. Um. And he he admits that he doesn't finish college, which I think is, you know, he's like, hey, I, I am. I think that you put it very well. This is almost like him telling Eliza, OK, I'm counting on you for these things.
2: Yeah, I don't know how much that dowry was. Hopefully big. <laughs> Hopefully enough for, to give Hamilton some time
0: here. But, okay. you know, buried into this, right, is a much more serious a much more intimate version of there's a million things i haven't done he's aspirational with eliza about the life that he wants to have with her and that part i do find very sweet and endearing we'll get a little place in harlem we'll we'll figure it out you know once again he can't list accomplishments so he lists aspirations and sometimes that can be very charming as well
2: absolutely yeah it's definitely a vulnerable nice moment the way the way he <laughs> the way he delivers Angelica tried to take a bite of me and Eliza turning around be like what the fuck like, <laughs> come on no right like it's just a vi- the way just it's only the Disney Plus cut from the uh from like where I sat when I watched it live you couldn't kind of see it that well this is the Disney Plus cut kind of bringing the facial acting to life more um just very it's so funny every time on the soundtrack it's not as funny either but just just specifically to the disney plus cut the way that little interaction happens when they're when they're holding hands is really really cute and then i think Mm -hmm. by the end of the song they're about to get married and and you get a little bit from hamilton right my life is going fine because eliza's in it like maybe he is finally happy with something right we haven't hit satisfied yet so at this point if you haven't watched it before you wouldn't use the word satisfied but maybe, maybe this is the one thing he can be at, at least at this point in his life, just happy with and 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 satisfied with.
0: I agree. Underneath that moment that you're discussing, and going back to uh, your earlier point about stage business and uh, filling up the page and all of the things going on, as as that moment is happening, Eliza is going around gathering up their letters. And they go into this small wooden box. Yeah. If I remember correctly, Peggy shows
2: up with the box.
0: Yeah. And I, the second time I watched the show, I, you know, this is a very joyous, uplifting moment, right? But the second time I watched it, I, I caught the letters, and I had this just like sinking feeling in my stomach. I mean. The, it's it, the, the foreshadowing there for burn you know she just they make a point of show, she's she's ecstatic gathering up all of these letters that are gonna the the emotional payoff for that later on is massive and if you blink you miss it
2: yeah i think the letters the letters are flying around a lot Mm-hmm. Right. There are lots of points where people are grabbing them from other people and they're moving around the, the ensemble and they end up in this box. It's definitely I, I think it's pretty hard to miss the letters. I think it is harder to kind of make the subtle connections that those are the letters Hamilton's writing to Eliza and that those are the letters that later get burned. I think that's a bit of a harder leap, but I think when I watched this the first time, I had one of those like, oh, this is like the beginning of Harry Potter. There's <laughs> <It's> just letters.
1: <laughs> right? Like, yeah. it's just no, no, no. I'm with you there. Everywhere. It was more,
0: yeah. It was the connection I meant might be the... the, But yeah, it is. <laughs> there's no post on Sundays. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Also, I
2: just want to point out for you, Harry Potter heads, it's insane that the, the world's next greatest seeker can't catch one of the million letters flying around his house makes no sense come on (laughs) harry anyways um i think that's all i got for helpless i work i mean part of talking about satisfied is going to be calling back to helpless anyway Mm -hmm. uh i i it's one of those things where i i think there's going to be a million things i wish i i mentioned but i think i'm good with helpless is there anything that you wanted to 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 bring up
0: yeah, there's there's a couple things just laying groundwork for later on. Uh Lawrence is very very present in both of these songs so far and he'll remain present um getting out of uh you know, getting out of this and into satisfied. Um he's uh presumably the best man walking Angelica down the aisle? Was my take? Yeah, um, probably. And in this in this section uh, about love and romance, Lawrence is very present throughout all of it. And I think that that was a very intriguing choice by uh, the director and choreographer. Um, And I also love Hercules Mulligan as the flower girl.
2: Oh, it's so good. So there's a lot of funny moments. This is exactly what would have happened had I not had you to bring this up. And I would be like, oh, I missed it. Um, there's a lot of really funny moments here. It's a very, this is like the comedic relief song as well. Um, things need to be kind of, wh- while we're already having a happy song, might as well toss some comic relief in here. The 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 flower girl is hilarious. The super kind of white guy dancing from Hamilton, like just moving his knees back and forth is very, very funny there is the, the moment while, while he's doing that dancing where Eliza's father, who's bringing the glasses of champagne over, is like, oh, God, what have I done? Like, he's looking around like, oh, please not like mm-hmm. this and that's very clever. There's also those moments like I said earlier every if you are on the stage, you have whether you're singing or not, you have lines of dialogue that you are saying to your colleagues. And when Peggy and Lafayette are walking down together, like Lafayette whispers something in her ear and she looks surprised like, "Oh, what?" and then they separate. Like there's so many little kind of funny moments put in here. Even if you can't hear exactly what they are, it's just a very very funny song as well as hopeful and romantic and all of the other things
0: yeah i agree a lot of a lot of adorable cute 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 things and it's just joyous right it's just it's just so gleeful
2: all right so we are here with satisfied and satisfied is a great many things so i'm going to start with the things that have nothing to do with the actual kind of lyrics or or space in the in the musical or anything the first thing is that satisfied is a masterpiece if you look at any kind of ranking of hamilton songs and i'm definitely going to do a kind of song ranking at the very end we have a few fun q a things planned we're going to do like a harry potter sorting of all the the characters and that's going to be fun. But one of those kind of extracurricular things we can do at the end of the musical is a, is a song ranking, which songs kind of sit if we had to rank a top five or a top 10 or whatever makes sense. So if you look online at what other people or businesses or kind of magazine companies or whatever, how they have ranked the Hamilton song. Satisfied is almost always number one. And if not number one, almost always in the top three. And that's certainly where it sits for me as well. I have put that I think this song should go into whatever bunker that like the movies and the music go. The US government has like whatever system it has so the aliens can can watch it when, <laughs> when they hit Earth. What's it called? I know there's a system in the States because Star Wars was put in it. There's a place where things go that are like in a nuclear proof bunker, so they exist forever. Anyways, um that's where I, Satisfied I, I should wonder, be.
0: I wonder if it's near NORAD in Colorado, maybe. I'm not sure.
2: I can't remember what it's called. It, it once once you hear it, you'd be like, Oh, I've heard of that that place hmm. or that system or or whatever. But Satisfied is just truly a masterpiece and it's based around I'm I'm calling it Angelica's salty runback. A salty runback is a term I heard first playing League of Legends where a mm-hmm. team loses and so they just run it back. They pick the exact same squad for the next round, right? And they just run it back as if like, "Hey, this time I'm going to beat you." And so this <laughs> is it's not it's not a salty runback in the same way, but it's Angelica kind of recounting and lamenting the night we just had at the wedding with Satis or with uh, Helpless, it's recounting it from her point of view and her adding parts to it to to flush out her character, but also adding kind of her her point of view and, and lament to it. So, what do you make just generally of Satisfied?
0: That's a tall order to it, do. It's
2: it's uh, knowing that it's hard to generalize this song in any way that makes sense because it's all incredible yeah, and
0: complicated. It's, it's difficult. If I had to attempt to have one succinct analysis or reaction to to this behemoth to this to this titan of a tune it's uh, for me what strikes me is the the effortless way this song switches modes and the way Renee Goldsberry switches modes and how she is one version of Angelica with the cast of characters and she's a different version of Angelica with the audience and the listener and I think that that is the way we navigate those those musical modes and those versions of Angelica I think that's why this song is as successful and as good as it is
2: She starts satisfied with I just might regret that night for the rest of my days That is how this tune starts. Angelica out there giving us her point of view and saying just straight up, this is one of those nights that if I could go back. And part of the question you ask yourself as this is going on and after it's finished is if she could go back, would she walk Hamilton over to Eliza again? That is kind of the question. Like she is saying here that maybe not like she regrets that night and She almost wishes that she could have done things, things differently. And there's so many fun moments here. One of my favorites that sticks out to me is when Hamilton is just standing there like a statue and she's just staring at him. Every time I see that, I'm like, oh, this is just a masterpiece, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's, it's just striking and it's simple and it's so effective And I I don't know, I'm going to do a lot of, I don't even know how to describe it in this song because there's just so much that's indescribable. (laughs) But man, I just fucking love this song, dude.
0: I really do as well. I really do. I love her delivery. I I love her vocal chops and her range, the dynamic range of this tune. Just, I mean, in terms of loud, soft, loud, like it gives the Pixies a run for their money. You know, it's just, (laughs) it's just amazing.
2: Um, Angelica also kind of starting early on having that game recognizes game moment, right? I'll never forget the first time that I saw your face. Um, intelligent eyes in a hunger paying frame. She's recognizing Hamilton for kind of what he is, but also as a contemporary. And that's going to be important later because she's going to lament about her kind of role in society. Like, she is a Hamilton like figure who can't do any of the climbing or ambitious stuff that hamilton is doing
0: yeah and as you uh very uh, accurately point out here part of that i think is inspired by his um his first words to her are very motivational i think and i think you were wise to call them out
2: yeah well they come in he just starts with this so we'd start with hamilton just standing there like a statue and she's staring at him right and so that Mm -hmm. happens then he walks up to her he this is where he pushes lafayette out of the way a second time it's a repeat so it's the same moment happening again but now we're getting angelica pausing it from where it it kept going last time and pausing on this conversation with Hamilton. and he he goes up and this is where this is the line all right i have made a life's mission out of just walking around where i work singing hamilton I can do almost the whole play just from Hamilton's lines. And this is the one line every time that is just impossible to get unless you're Lin-Manuel to do it perfectly. But the you strike me as a woman who's never been satisfied. That's how he opens this. Mm-hmm. It's a soft delivery, but it's a confident delivery and it, I don't, it's a challenge almost. I, it's there's so much. It's, it's a line that packs 86 things into it. Right. So we're going to have to unpack this. Right. But that's how he opens. And that always struck me as an odd way to open a conversation with someone. But like I mentioned earlier, he is recognizing her for for who she is and not who society wants or not who society or not what society wants him to think she is.
0: Yeah, I agree. I really do. I just I'm uh i there's so much packed into this and I uh, see, this is why I really go into that double meaning of the word satisfied here, because I think that's one of the things that Hamilton is packing in. I, I think he's trying to figure out if she's a goer or not, in addition to <laughs> thinking that she is confident and competent. I think that it's all there. It's not one or the other.
2: I've just never seen it. And until until the person I worked with yelled like, oh, so she's so she's very inelegantly. Right, Mm -hmm. just like, oh, so she's a virgin, right? I'm sure that that's part of it, but it's just never struck me as part of it. I always, I always thought of Hamilton as almost kind of beyond that in his attentions. Like he, if he wants, if he wants to, if he wants to go have sex with someone, that's not a hard thing for him to do. Right. Mm -hmm. I've always struck it as like, oh, he, he is recognizing that Angelica is not satisfied in all of the other ways. And like that, Maybe it's just I'm not reading it correctly. I've just never ever felt that from this line.
0: But no, I don't. I don't think that it's just trying to get laid. I think that it's there. There is intelligence in innuendo, and so he's not walking up to her and saying, "Well, hello, pretty lady, would you like to bone?" He's saying it in the elegant tongue of the time, and and she responds in a way. That strikes him and he said, oh, okay, you've got some game. Whether whether we go to the Rose Garden or not, I'd like to, but, you know, if even if we don't, <laughs> like, you are very witty and you, and most importantly to, to my intellect, you can hang. So, if you can hang and we can bone, then you're the perfect woman. I th- <laughs> I, th- I think it's all, like, it's all in that, right? Because there's, you know... I mean, because sexual compatibility is a thing, right? So I think sexual compatibility and mental compatibility all at once, all wrapped up into this moment, I think that's what makes it such an electric moment.
2: Do you think it's a bold move? So he's here, and part of his motivation is that he wants to marry a Skylar sister. That's at least part of the motivation of all of this, mm-hmm. right? This is a moment, unlike Burr, where he's, he's at least kind of successful, right? He doesn't end up with Angelica, but he opens mm-hmm. up just as hot as Burr did when he was, like, running down the street after them, right? Do you think smart move from Hamilton to just go in hot like this? Like, how, what? A, what a, like, if it hadn't been Angelica, surely this is a terrible idea, right? Like, how do you feel that—do you feel like it matches with Hamilton's character to just run up and be like, you strike me as a woman who's never been satisfied?
0: Yes, and I also think that it's appealing to Angelica because complimenting her perfume does not work. We know that, right? (laughs) Complimenting her fashions probably does not work either. And she's probably heard every line under the sun. Hamilton's talking about her. Actual capital H, her.
1: Right, like her, her as a, her
2: personality, her as a person, what what yeah. she's hoping to get out of the world.
0: I think that this was a a brilliant move. I think this was the move. I think this is the way, uh, to to get in with Angelica. I I, I yeah, absolutely. I respect the boldness. You you go, Tomcat.
2: <laughs> it's just hard for me because when Bird did it, I was like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Come on, Bird. Like, what are you doing, you idiot? But then when Hamilton does it, you're like, "Woo!" Good. But well I, done. But
0: again, I think it's because Burr doesn't do it correctly and or also, or
2: or or elegantly. Hamilton is a very subtle way of doing it here.
0: Right. But then again, I have my own headcanon that Burr never meant it, right? I al- I always think that Burr's early come ons are affronts. They're 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 their falsehoods. They're cov- they're their covers for his for what he's really doing on the side, right? That's that's just my headcanon. So Right. That's why it b- doesn't bother me as much because I don't think he's actually trying to pick up like he may be, but t- to his, to his core, I don't think that he fundamentally really wants a Skylar. I think it's a cover.
2: Sure. Hamilton continues this song and he goes, you're like me. I'm never satisfied. And to me, this plays, uh, we should do a rate my Hamilton where I deliver these lines and then you tell me. Out of ten. Well maybe we'll do that at the end of the episode. That'd be fun. Because these are fun, these are fun lines to try and deliver if you're that not sounds talented. Sounds like a lot of fun. If you're not talented at all. Right? But he goes in and he's like, You're like me. I'm never satisfied. And to me, this plays as the confident Hamilton that we know, but also as the omen. As the first hint that you might be getting the Icarus that's gonna fly too close to the sun here. Because mm-hmm. he's just a climber, and climbers and ambitious people. Right, are never satisfied. They get, they they have a goal. They get to the goal, and then they want the next thing, and then they get that mm-hmm. thing, and then they want the next thing. And it's it's not a it's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to kind of tear it down as a bad way to view the world, but it's just typically how very ambitious people operate. If you're ambitious, that means you're you're never going to quite be comfortable where you're at. You're always going to want to push a little farther and a little harder, and and see where you can take yourself. And so he recognizes that immediately in Angelica, and then Angelica goes. Or Angelica is at least a little, um, like is that right? Like, okay, I, I like, she's starting to play now. This, she's mm-hmm. really starting to play. Like, is that right? All right, all right, fine, fine, fine. And then Hamilton's like, I've never been satisfied, never. And it's just, it, it, knowing what happens after this, it really strikes me as that first moment where you, you know, that he might succumb to some sort of temptation and ruin something later, because there's no way someone this ambitious. Can keep climbing this quickly without messing something up
0: oh for sure yeah this is this is all darkly foreboding and that's supported by the the more somber tone of the song compared to helpless that preceded it
2: yes correct that's exactly how i feel about it i'm just not sure it's always it's always interesting to see how other people perceive the things that you perceive because oftentimes they can be completely we're all listening and watching the same thing but how mm-hmm. we feel about it and how we view it is is very different. Angelica transitions into like, all right, you're in the club. Let's do the introductions. Mm-hmm. You're in the club. And then she says, my name is Angelica Schuyler. And it's like, OK, Hamilton knows that. That's why he pushed Lafayette out of the way to to come say hi to you. He wasn't <laughs> he wasn't doing that for anybody. Like, We can skip the introduction, I think. And then he Hamilton doesn't. He's not. He's not messing around. He's you know, like Alexander Hamilton. Like yep, 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 yep. Like that's where. Can we skip this part, right? <laughs> like, can we go to the rose garden or whatever it is that he's he's hoping for here? And then, yeah. and then when Angelica inquires about his family, Hamilton here unimportant. There's a million things I haven't done. Just you wait. Going back to that call out from earlier. But now, now it's like, look, my past does not matter because we're here and I'm Mm -hmm. a climber. And this is where we're going from this moment. So it's unimportant, right? Also, assuming Hamilton doesn't want to go into all the terrible details of it, but it's just a very interesting interaction here. And again, this is where Lin-Manuel really stands out because all of these lines, which I will attempt to deliver at the end of this uh, podcast, I suppose. Now that I've signed <laughs> myself up for it, right? All of these lines are deadpan. Like, there he's just standing there and talking to her, right? And there's so much emotion and and layers just put in there. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, the the dynamic between them to the two of them is just palpable. But what he says here is is of crucial importance to Angelica because what we know from the lyrics of the Schuyler sisters. Is that she's also a forward-thinking, ambitious person. So this is really attractive because look at how look at how she responds. So this is what it feels like to match wits with someone at your level. You know? I love the
2: term match wits. Like they're competitors in a way. Like they're just like almost like they're in a boxing match. Yeah. And like yeah. they're their being equal means they kind of punch each other in the face a little bit. Right. Like they are equal to each other in a way that can that is very attractive, but is also I don't use the word ruthless, but is also very like progressive and aggressive in a way.
0: Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm following what you're saying. You you, you definitely want to you want to give it your best. (laughs) You want to give it them your best shots because you don't like you want to impress them. Right. So you you have to give it your all
2: absolutely what i mean by that is like when you walk up to someone and go like you strike me as a woman who's never been satisfied that's like throwing a punch a little bit that's not like a hello hi i'm alexander hamilton i'm a really nice guy like i don't that's where the boxing references come from like they're willing to like they're willing to trade barbs a little bit here to to recognize the 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 game that they they see in each other
0: for sure and i think that it really catches her off guard I think that that is the reason for the, the stuttered sows going into her next verse. You know, she's a well-spoken individual. She's got a huge vocabulary. And I think we're supposed to see that she's a little bit off balance there.
2: Oh, I get the full impression throughout this whole next verse that she's completely taken off guard. Yeah. That this, yeah, is, she, une- that this is unexpected. That this is like, like she never thought this would happen. And I think you need to feel that way cuz she's about to kind of throw away her shot and give Hamilton over to Eliza. And so you need to feel like when when we get to the the regret part later that this is the part that that really kind of gives you that foundation. So when she really starts to feel regretful about it, you know how she felt at the beginning. But this is total like total like she's she's falling in love with him. Like this is, she the, is. this is incredible. Like to her this is just the best thing that's ever happened.
0: And She is so, so fine with him being what he is. Penniless, he's flying by the seat of his pants. She knows, she knows that he's just struggling to try to make this happen and she's just so in love with his mind. And that I think is just so wonderful and that makes it so so much more heartbreaking when she gives up on the chance to be with him. You know, you can see this as her throwing away her shot
2: yeah exactly and it's also she's very perceptive right the conversation lasted two or three minutes but she has a full view picture right she's 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 not just looking she's not looking past him she's very present in the moment right i asked about his family do you see his answer his hands started fidgeting he looked askance like she's perceiving that that tells you to her that's like him answering the question he doesn't need to tell her about his family because she already perceived exactly like he's like he was caught off guard by that he's like oh I'm not gonna talk about that. And she, she took what she was gonna take from that response. So she, in that moment, is very perceptive. And then, yeah, like explains what Hamilton is, and that she's mm-hmm. totally fine with it. And then at the very end, I want to take him far away from this place. Then I turn and see my sister's face, and you're just like, fuck,
1: mm-hmm. right? Like
2: for her, <laughs> for her, this was all going well until she saw Eliza, and then mm-hmm. she was like, no, 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 go home. Why are you here? Could you not have been sick today? right they got all the balls all the balls you don't go to why are you looking at him like this like take those puppy dog eyes and get Mm -hmm. out of here right like you can just tell that that's exactly where she's going with this
0: yeah and it's that that with eliza makes me believe that everything that comes after this from angelica is justification and trying to either convince us or herself or both that number one, she made the right decision and number two, that these are all good reasons to have done it. I think that there's a lot of like trying to console herself and come to terms with the fact that she's done it and really make her like convince herself that she made the right choice to give him to Eliza.
2: Yeah. And something I definitely want to talk about at the end, because I don't think these are very good reasons. Right. And I think I I don't either. I think you're meant to feel that way. Right. I think you're exactly correct that she's trying to justify her choices to herself. And us as the audience are like, well, none of those are very good reasons. And this is why it's important when you're talking about adapting something. Right. Whether you're adapting a book to a TV show or you're adapting a kind of a biography from Ron Chernow into a musical. This choice is very stupid and lame if she's already married, because that's just the reason. And that's boring. Mm -hmm. Right. But adapting it, changing the timeline a little bit in a way that doesn't really fundamentally change the outcome of what's going to happen, but changes the motivations a little bit, makes it so much more interesting that she's also single. And for the first time, feeling like she can love this person, like that's way more interesting as an audience. To, to kind of dive into here. If she had just been like, and then I turn and see my sister's face and I'm married, so I guess I don't have a choice. So here you go, Eliza. Like, that's just, eh. Not that yeah. Lin-Manuel would have wrote it that way. I'm sure he would have still made this amazing, but it's just less of a fun journey to go on.
0: Well, yeah, sure. But I mean, you can, you have a better chance at making something amazing if you have better subject matter to work with, you know?
2: And, yeah, that's why that's why it's important to understand that adaptive choices aren't, Aren't in spite of the material they came from. They're to make right. it a better experience for you. Like Lin Manuel's not changing history because he thinks that's fun and exciting. He's doing it to make this a better, more compelling experience for you to to watch or listen
0: to. Yeah, for sure. And also, there's there's the chance, you know. And this this is part of my part of my own head canon around the show, I guess. But like, I don't I don't know when this song was written between. You know the first writings and the Hamilton mixtape, and then the workshop and the Off Broadway and all that. But like, when you're developing a musical, it happens when you're in the hall and someone leans over and goes, "She needs a song."
1: Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So so we do know that this song was written
2: pre-Renee Goldsberry because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there of Lin Manuel talking about they gave this song to <laughs> a fucking asshole gave this song to the people auditioning for Angelica. Oh and, my God. And Renee was the only one who, who nailed it to the point of like not being uncomfortable with it. And so like there's, there's interviews of Lin-Manuel talking about it out there somewhere that I've listened to. I can't remember exactly. Gotcha. So this well, was, that's, that's this, really this good. This song know. was pre Renee Elise Goldsberry playing gotcha, Angelica. Okay. This was the song, which is completely insane. That they use for the auditions, which is unfair.
0: Well, there's there's two things at work there. Number one, yeah, that's kind of cruel, but like if they can't cat if they can't nail this, then you can't cast it. I them.
2: suppose you're also not doing it with a with the choreography either. Like it's just singing it. Right. Yeah. Like, you're just you're um, just doing the audition, not on the stage.
0: Yeah, and you've got time to prep, you know. So and it's it's gonna be easier in your street clothes, uh, than it's gonna be, you know, but like, yeah. Woof. That's a that's a doozy of an audition song for sure. <laughs>
2: I don't. <laughs> I just okay. <laughs> I, I you're definitely right that you may as well do the hardest song for the auditions because that's the one they're gonna have to nail. But man, like it just it's this is where where does this rank for you? Like, is this a masterpiece in your eyes? Because to oh, yes. me, it is.
0: Yes. Right. Hands okay. Down. Yeah.
2: Perfect. So we're on the same page with that. This is like an exceptional. Well, well beyond your normal level of, I don't know what the, the the base is, but well beyond what you you normally get out of a out of a song in a in a musical.
0: Oh yeah, I mean this is this is more than what you get out of music. You know, this is this is just this is this is just good music. Uh, it it's an ex an exceptional song from musical theater. It's an exceptional song just from the American Songbook. It's just, it's amazing. Depending on, you know, uh, I don't know if I have a ranking of the songs in the show yet, but depending on the day, if you ask me, what's your favorite song from Hamilton? On some days, I would say this one, you know?
2: This is definitely in my top three. I need to do this whole part. Like the podcast has allowed me to discover more because I'm knowing, watching it, knowing I need to talk about it and explain mm-hmm. how I feel, right? Colors, how you view it. And so I think I'll have different like if I did a ranking before starting this podcast and a ranking after I'm definitely going to do a ranking at the end. I think that's important is the same thing I did for Bridgerton was to re-rank the episodes. I think that's Mm -hmm. an important reflective piece so you can see kind of how your experience colored what just happened. And so I I think it's worth doing along with all the fun Harry Potter sorting we're going to do. Right, yeah, I'm looking forward uh, to that. So, but I, I want the struggle of trying to rank the song. I want that struggle. Like, I want the song to be so good that I have a hard time not putting it at number one on my list. There's a zero percent chance it would ever fall below three, though. Zero. Yeah. There's just no chance for me. Um, if I did, I could do this ranking a million times, depending on the day, and it would never fall below three.
0: Yeah, for sure. Curiously, for me, like, I don't, I don't see a lot of, um. I really don't see a lot of Alexander Hamilton in my top like five.
2: No, <laughs> now that
0: I'm thinking about it, th- you know,
2: I think that's because, I think that's because, I think that's because <laughs> you have you have two incredible Leslie Odom Jr. performances. You yeah. have at least one or two incredible um, Renee Goldsberry um, performances, right? Like, I, I think, I think, I think it's because Hamilton songs are are. Incredible, but it's kind of like Harry Potter in the sense that no one's favorite character is Harry Potter,
0: for sure. Right?
2: Like it's the same with with. That's why I think his like Lin Manuel's specific talents fit well with his character. Mm. Right? Like he is the star of the show. I don't think he's meant to be your favorite character, or I don't think he's meant to be singing your favorite songs in in that Mm. way. I don't think that's. I I think that's probably the intention. Is that none of his songs are 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 the if you had to rank them in the bottom five, but none of them are probably in the top five.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting challenge for sure.
2: Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's I guess I should get back yeah, to it. It's we're, actually in this song. Um, we're way
0: in the bush now. Yeah. So
2: I've always <laughs> interpreted, I've always interpreted this piece of the musical very specifically, and I want to get your thoughts on it. So Angelica mm-hmm. recounts the moments that she took leading up to, and then introducing Hamilton to Eliza, but she breaks it up to, to do her like rules of life that she's learned in the middle of each piece of that.
1: Mm-hmm. I've always
2: interpreted that regardless of what the rules actually are, which we'll get into as like, she struggles with this so much. She can't even tell the story without having to explain herself. Like she can't even like she goes and gets Hamilton and walks him over. And then she's like, okay, pause. I need to explain my, like, she can't even do the whole meeting in one go and then explain herself. Cause that it frustrates her so much
0: yeah i can i can see that i think that i think she's frustrated by what happened and i think she's also i i i yeah i
1: mm, mm. that's just always yeah, how i, I, I perceived I, it is I,
2: that she she could tell hmm. you she could recount the meeting and then explain hmm. herself right but she doesn't do that she she breaks it up and almost like cuts herself off to be like pause i'm gonna start explaining myself now and goes almost off topic a little bit and i i've always interpreted that as like she's just really struggling to justify this moment to herself
0: yeah that's a lot better than me just saying that's how you build an interesting song you know <laughs> <laughs> like that was I don't, probably
2: the motivation sure i mean yeah but, like but but two birds with one stone right if you can make the song more interesting and make me feel good about it that's the best case scenario that's
0: the best case scenario yeah i'm trying like because i was i was while i was trying to respond to you i was thinking you know which do i think came first and it's kind of like a chicken or the egg thing right like when they were when they were composing this tune how did it happen you know and i think that part of it is just this is how you make a very dynamic
1: yeah it'd be weird to just redo
2: the whole moment (laughs) again again
0: like this is you know this breaks it up and makes it interesting i'm Um, gonna pretend
2: like my view is better i
0: I I, see i like your view too um i i i prefer your view the romantic parts part of me prefers yours i'm just not a romantic um you know, when I was when I was still acting, I, I was like I, I, I was a very, very straight ahead, very like down to business um, actor. And there's a lot of people who like get into like more heady method shit that that I just can't. I just don't have time for. <laughs> but there's this this old joke in, in theater about like, you know, the, the actor says to the director, well, what's my motivation to, to go do that? And the director says, I, I just told you to. You know, (laughs) so it's like which, you know, what comes what comes first in this tune, the the emotional weight from the way it's built or is it built because this is the weight that they tried to convey to the audience? You know, either way, we're lucky it works so well. Right.
2: Absolutely. I've just always interpreted that way. And regardless of whether that's correct or not, I'm thinking you're probably right in that that's just the better way to break up the song. So you're not watching long periods of the same thing over and over again
0: yeah but um, I think, but here's I think the thing, think though, think the thing
2: like with half, the musical oh sorry
0: <laughs> well, all I'm trying to say, I'm trying to champion your opinion there because half of this show exists in your heart as the viewer. Half of this show it happens in you and 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 your emotional response, so like you you can't say that your opinion is right or wrong or your feeling is right or wrong because it it's what the show made you feel, you know?
2: Yeah. It just is like it. Yeah. It just is how I feel about it, regardless of whether that was the intention or not.
0: Yeah. And if it, if it wasn't their intention, it was just a happy accident. Right now you can get into like objective stuff with like, if they say, you know, this is our, uh, if they come out on stage and on page one, they say our intention with this play is to make you angry and then at the end of that's terrible (laughs) that's terrible right please don't playwrights (laughs) out there don't do that but if they did that and then at the end of the play you were still happy and you weren't angry then you could say oh well it's an objective failure because they told me what they were trying to do but they don't do that here right so you're supposed to bring your own shit to it so there you go cool rule number one (laughs) Mm. rule number one the rules i like this bit you've got here for sure
2: she is a girl in a world in which her only job is to marry rich There's a lot of stuff here, but we can sum it up by saying Angelica just hates the social construct that she finds herself in, that Mm -hmm. she is equal to Hamilton in every way, but she's a woman, so she has to marry rich and friggin try and find like because her father has no son so she has to carry all the weight but she can't she can't do it like hamilton does she has to do it within the the social constructs that constrain her and she's just sick of it
0: yeah yeah absolutely she she does outline the pressure that they're and when i say they i mean women in this time are under and it's striking that we only get one close parallel with the guys and the only set of rules that they have are about fighting you know right but (laughs) but but the skylers i mean all women of the period um well to do women at least live under these strictures and she makes uh an empathetic case for how much it or how awful it is
2: absolutely even later when she's when she's singing about her husband you're like oh that kind of sucks for her yeah right like like that you're just like, "Oh, well, I'm glad she'll be happy and taken care of, but that just really sucks compared to to her her level of, of ambition.
0: Rule number yeah, two. I'm, I'm not going to London with someone I love. I'm going. I'm accompanied by someone who always pays. I think is the line.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the line.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Um. Rule number two. This is where things start getting real. Rule number one's very simple. It's just said in a, in a lot of words, right? But rule number two is her observational again. And this is her biggest, like, outright justification, where she pretty much says, this is why I did what I did. I think mm-hmm. it's an awful justification. Um, but, hey, I'm not Angelica, right? She recognizes that he's at least partly after her because she's a Skylar sister and that elevates his status, mm-hmm. right? She says, which,
1: which,
0: in her mind, going after a Skylar sister to elevate your status, she's saying that is a bad thing.
2: But then, okay. but then she turns then- around <laughs> and introduces it. That's what I mean. I, this is why yeah. I think it's a terrible justification. Because then she's like, and then she says, "The word maybe here does a lot of work for me that like she doesn't know <laughs> or she doesn't believe this. Maybe that's why I introduced him to Eliza. She doesn't even know. Like this is her recounting of the night." Like she even in her recounting isn't sure why the fuck she did this. hmm Right? Maybe that's why I introduced him to a lie. Like, she doesn't even know. But this is her this is her attempt at like an outright kind of what she would verbally say was her justification. And then she says, Nice going, Angelica. He was right. You will never be satisfied. And mm-hmm. I think rule number three packs the biggest punch in terms of the emotional resonance for me. And I really love that. But rule number two, you're just like, you just like want to give Angelica a bit of a shake. And you're like, what are you saying here? Because I'm confused as to your mess. And she's confused. Like, we're all confused as to her justification here because it doesn't really make that much sense. And she's not even sure that that's the justification because the word maybe is doing a lot of the heavy lifting.
0: Yeah, it's a real mess, isn't it? and you know i th- i think that it is indicative of her confusion and her frustration here i mean she's just she's she's going like yeah i mean this is, she's she's contradicting herself here in one in one uh
1: one verse yeah it's I- but when she gets to when she gets
0: to the um the 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 third rule like I think, I mean, do you think she gets closer to a truth at that point?
2: Um, yes and no. I, I just don't, what I love about the the third rule is that she is showing her, her compassion as a sister, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of breaking down. It's going past her as a person. Rule number two is like internally just about me. This is maybe why I did this. Mm -hmm. Rule number three is the justification of, oh, I did it because I love my sister, right? She's trusting. She's kind. She'll make a good wife for him. And if I took him, like, this is another dumb justification. Like, if maybe this is my older sibling, I have younger siblings, and I'm the oldest. So maybe this is me Mm -hmm. being like, Angelica, just you're the oldest. I do it all the time. Like, I'm just the oldest. And that's why. Right? (laughs) Every time I sit in the front seat of the car, it's like, I'm just older. So fuck off. Right. Like that's kind of just how it works in my head. And so I'm, I'm a bad older sibling in that sense. And Angelica much nicer than me, but she says like, if I, if I tell her that I love him, if I did this, then my sister would be a grumpy wumpy with me and she'd be upset and resigned. She says it more elegantly, but pretty much like, if I did this, then my sister who I love dearly and I would never be upset would be upset. So therefore I would never do anything ever that would make my sister upset. Which includes going after Hamilton, which is to me a bad justification. What I do like about rule number three, though, as terrible as I think the justification is, is that she's a, it kind of adds to her credentials as a really kind, and nice person. Right. Does. She's she's ambitious and all of that, like Hamilton, but she's also just a thoughtful, kind, observative person who will, at least in her own weird justifications, do things that don't b- benefit her, but that will benefit other people. So that's what I really like about that is in this song that's about a lot of regret and a lot of lamenting that she's taking the time to to, to kind of just be a good person. I don't know. I just I just like the lo- loving sibling moment there.
0: I do too. I like it because it doubles down on the importance of family to the Skylers as a unit. But what I what I uh I I also like, but what breaks my heart about this moment is that she ends up landing on a decision based on another one of the roles she has to play in life. We started by discussing her role as a daughter. Then we talked about her own inner conflict for a little bit, but now we're back to her role as a sister. She finds herself making this decision justified by using her role in the family unit, not not because she thinks it was necessarily the good right thing to do, but the good right thing for the person in her position to do. And it really ramps up the emotional baggage of the moment and makes me feel worse for her because we never know well no i think we do right i think that we're shown here we do know what angelica would have done if all of these pressures would be removed right because she never actually says left to my own devices i would have said no seems like she was all in right
2: well yeah and this song is almost her saying well, let's have this discussion at the end of the song but like this song is almost her saying like if i could do it a second time i would not make the same choice right I'll re- i think
1: i i'll regret I that
2: agree night with you i'll regret that night till the end of my day doesn't sound like somebody that would mm-hmm. make the same choice again like she regrets it cuz she would make a different choice you don't typically regret maybe maybe you do maybe regret in a very loose term right you you made the choice you made you regret it but you 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 had to do it I just don't get that sense. I think if she could do this a second time, she would just like put her foot down and take Hamilton.
0: I, I think she would because she didn't flip and have to do it. Like, I mean, because and how how humiliating do you think it may be felt when Philip Schuyler approved Eliza's wedding? to Hamilton don't you think Angelica had to be sitting in the drawing room going well shit I could have done it
2: well no she was sitting and being used as a table for Eliza reading her letters so I think I think the moment was wholly was wholly unfortunate for Angelica
0: oh to be reduced to furniture she was
2: reduced to furniture in the moment in the musical so I think I think that moment is wholly upsetting for her. I don't think that that's an ideal
0: oh, me. situation. What
2: I, I But there's so many layers and complexities here, right? When she says, I know my sister, like I know my own mind. Do you know your own mind? Because this whole song makes you seem awfully confused. Not in a bad way. Not like you're dumb or whatever, but yeah. like, but just like, how well do you know your own mind? Because you are awfully conflicted right now. And so there's just a lot of layers to unpack here for Angelica, which adds to why this song is just so incredible.
0: Right. And maybe, maybe you've landed on something there, right? Because I know, I know my sister like I know my own mind. Okay. So this is, this is put forward as a true fact. We've also seen her be conflicted and confused. This is also a true fact because we, with our eyes and ears, have witnessed it. So we have these two facts, right, that, that we include in our reckoning now. Then we have Angelica's opinion of Eliza where she assumes that Eliza would, would be lying and, be, and, and not be okay with Angelica being with Hamilton. So,
2: But she doesn't if, say she if, assumes it. She says it is a fact. Like if right, I tell right. her that I love him, she would be silently resigned.
0: Exactly. But what I'm saying is if it's true that she knows her sister like she knows her own mind and it's also true in this moment that she doesn't seem to know her mind that well, then how can she actually know how Eliza would react?
2: Yeah. I don't, I I've never got the sense that she really does. I've always got yeah. the sense that this is just a whole mess in her head that she hasn't quite figured out yet.
0: Yeah. She's in a place, man.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's even said when she's doing all the toast at the beginning and at the end, like she looks upset about it. She looks frustrated mm-hmm. and annoyed. Like fuck. Why am I the maid of honor here? Like, why yeah, am I not she, the bride? Like, she seems annoyed that she's getting all this attention as the maid of honor.
0: Yeah, she looks heartbroken and and annoyed. And I think she also there's a nice a nice little moment where she seems to um resent the joy that Lawrence is having. And, you know, she just cannot be happy at this wedding. I mean, can you guy Can you imagine standing, man, I should be the one marrying him. Frickin' gave him to my
1: sister, frickin' (laughs) frickin'.
2: Yeah, it's just, like, that's the sense I get, is that it's, she's just, it's just a pent-up ball of frustration and regret and, like, just maybe a misread on the situation, like, when you're in the moment. And it's very, like, this type of high-sake stuff, like a marriage, isn't something everyone can relate to. Right. But like, I, as someone who has a staff team of loads of people and who has to make decisions every day about that staff team, frequently fuck things up and have the staff come to me and be like, well, why did you do that? And I'll just like, honestly, my answer is sometimes like, I just thought maybe that it was like for this reason that it was the right approach. Right. Like, you don't really have an answer sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I can relate, like, everyone can relate to that. Like, sometimes when you do something and it doesn't go well right the hindsight being 2020 makes what your thoughts were at the time seem like almost insignificant because at the time i'll make the choice i'll have a bunch of really good reasons but when it goes wrong and someone asks me about it i'm typically just like yeah maybe i thought that this would go differently i just thought Mm -hmm. that this would not like i apologize i don't really have like if i could go back the difference between angelica here is that when if she goes back she's implying that she would do it differently Right. That the hindsight yeah. being twenty twenty would change her view of it. A lot of times are right, you like, I if I could go back right with the information I had, I would have made the same choice again. Right. And it would just be a, a never ending cycle of that situation <laughs> messing up. Yeah. But for Angelica, <laughs> it's not like that. She would go back and at least for me, probably change how she approached this a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think a lot of this is well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my, my I- actions. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. All right, I think we call that in 2021 being canceled, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, Is there anything else uh, lyrically you want to? I was cover? just gonna can say. I... I
2: think we've got the lyrics down. We haven't even started on the choreography, the lighting, the co- <laughs> like any of the <laughs> the musical part of this. Like, we just covered the lyrics. So just just start going, and we'll we'll see how how long we we go.
0: So I can sum up all of my musical thoughts quickly and then we can unpack them at your leisure. Here's the thing though. Here's what I love about this tune is that at the beginning of it when she's giving the toast that you mentioned earlier, she's she's clearly not enjoying herself and I just kicked my foot on the desk. Man, I'm not enjoying myself either. <laughs> um so <laughs> she's she's performing. This is artificial, right? She is trying to be happy. She is clearly not. And The music is 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 traditional. It's this very simple arpeggio, and it's the piano, subtle, understated. But it, but she feels false, right? And then we get to rewind, and what happens is we go back to hip hop. This is one reason I particularly love this um, this track so much because in this song when we are discussing pain when we are discussing the truth and when we are discussing what's going on with her we're rapping and when we're when we're remembering and when we're seeing the version that we saw before right when we see her acting in traditional modes we have that traditional music and this is, you know, th- this is like this song is the thesis statement for all of my thoughts about music in Hamilton in general. It's ju- it's like all packed into one one track. And and another genius thing that happens with that rewind bit and the all of that heavily sampled, affected uh music there, we know we're going into a different mental space because we have the loop of her before we actually hear her sing practically you don't get this on the soundtrack but, i mean you can tell it's a loop but you don't see that you know you don't see that she's not singing so you may not understand it
2: right yeah on the soundtrack you, you know? just hear her voice and you don't know whether yeah. she's singing or not
0: but also the revolve runs backwards
2: Yes, and, that I typically don't notice many of these things, but the revolve mm-hmm. going the wrong way or backwards, it, tip, it definitely noticed when I, it, stands yeah. it stands out. It stands out as weird.
0: It does. It stands out, right? And and all throughout the previous two tracks it was running um counterclockwise and here it runs clockwise. Yeah, um, it,
2: it's weird because you wouldn't think of that as something that really sticks out like a sore thumb in a good way and it totally mm-hmm. does. It it's it you you can tell it's a rewind in a different direction than you're typically going.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I love that the gobos are moving with it as well. It's just oh, just such a clutch moment. Um so yeah, and then uh another thing I wanted to the so, so with that with that turntable movement, right? And 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 you mentioned some of these earlier, but those the other reversals in choreography uh there's, there's a, a couple like brilliant ones. The first look between the three of them is reversed, right? Because in originally in helpless, Eliza was downstage, right? Hamilton was upstage left and Angelica is between them and in, in satisfied it's inverted. So now Hamilton is downstage right. Eliza is center left and Angelica is, or Eliza's upstage left and Angelica is center. So that's reversed as well. Um, it's just, oh, it's so clever. The the way they dovetail these two songs, those are just specific instances. There's a lot more, but like there's, it, it, it's just the the way, what they choose to reprise and what they choose to reverse, I think is brilliant because like Peggy, with the letter, that's just a straight reprisal, right? And some of Angelica's movements are identical. I mean, even the look on her face, right? Um, when when uh, Philippa is singing to her uh, about uh, Hamilton being hers, but what they choose to invert, I think, is just as interesting. It's oh, it's it's so good. It's so good. I love this. I love it so much. <laughs> I have
2: I have zero to add, as I typically don't notice a lot of these things from like from the perspective of someone who who, who works in this industry and sees a lot of it and can appreciate it in that way. Uh, I will I will uh, firmly agree with every single thing you just said. <laughs> I have nothing to add, but certainly nothing to take away from that. That was gr- perfect
0: i forgot the practicals i love the 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 practicals uh in this scene it's nice um we were talking about that earlier before we actually started recording i love the um the the flown lanterns that come in for a winter's ball that work as we're having a ball um oh a, a practical for for anyone listening uh is what uh um we uh it's a term we use to refer to an actual piece of lighting equipment that is on stage and visible so like if you're doing a play uh in an office and there's a there's a lamp on the desk uh the industry term for the lamp is a practical because it's a light that you can actually touch and use it's actually on stage so the the flown lanterns coming in from the um from the flies would be practicals anyway. So they're, they're really simple. They're really lean. Right. And this kind of goes back to our being selective about props decision from last week, I believe. Hashtag give that man a drum. Uh, The, the practicals work well for a ball and then they fit an interior living room for the proposal. And then they also work for a wedding and their their presence is absent right that's kind of, their presence is muted during satisfied they they are not nearly as involved because we're going from that space into Angelica's heart right we're pulling out and and then we reintroduce them later um and then because again, like they help us define our spatial relationships around us, right? At the beginning of wait for it, they lift, they go up higher. So like, because we're about to have something that needs a bigger space than we're currently allowing it. So we raise the ceiling, right? We literally raise the roof. We take the practicals up and raise the eye. So the back of your mind goes, something big is coming. It is, once again, like in terms of scenery and props and Hamilton, it's mostly a unit set. So when they bring things on, they're usually simple and uh, elegantly done. And this is another instance. And also, yeah, I know there's the there's the lights upstage on the wagons that come on and off the candles. Those are just less important to me. I just had to mention them because someone will be like, well, but they're there. I know they're there. It's just it's the practicals that are that are much more valuable in terms of
2: I love that you have a light power ranking for this song. Like which lights are more important to
0: you yeah, than the other well, lights?
1: I've well, never thought because, about
0: it. Well, for a number of reasons. Okay, number one, I think d I think you're I think you're digging on me a little bit, but now we're we're gonna freaking get into it now. So here's the here's the here's No the no, thing.
2: I'm just <laughs> I, It makes it makes sense for you to have that power ranking. I just I've never thought about the lights and the specific types of lights and and their importance to me once. So it's just it's. I'm not saying it's a dig. It's just again, people view this based on their own <laughs> personal experience. So I find it interesting that somebody could watch Hamilton and have a light power ranking. Not that that's a bad thing. I just would. I could have watched this a million more times and never noticed I'm
1: the glad. different types of I'm lights.
0: Honestly, I'm glad that you didn't, right? Because it didn't distract you. But but there is there is something about right the, the unit set of Hamilton has an exposed grid. Okay. So they're not, they're not trying to make any, well, it's not a grid, it's a fly loft, but they're not trying to make any pretense about masking those lights. Right. They want you to see all of the fixtures, um, just like they did in, in the Heights, uh, coincidentally enough. Um, so, but flying something in from the loft is a very traditional theatrical convention that, that on the surface should feel at odds with an exposed contemporary uh intelligent lighting rig above the stage and yet it doesn't it actually works but then there there's also the there's something about bringing the the ceiling down and 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 those those flown lights they do that they bring the ceiling down so we focus on what's happening on the people, right? Because what's, what's happening here is with, with Helpless is a simple, true, genuine love story. And that is easy for us to, con- that's something that can be contained, that story. So we, we bring it down to focus on it. But the things discussed and satisfied and wait for it are harder to explain and almost impossible to contain. So the the ceiling has to go back up again, right? And that to me, this is why I have my, my power ranking here, is because that is more valuable in terms of metaphorical storytelling and how you move things in your fly loft, how you define the space, right? That's more important than the candles that come on that are just there to define this as a, as a festive environment, in my opinion. You can do you can do the scene emotionally without those things is what I'm saying. You can't do it without the lanterns. You just can't. for me, I think they're
1: essential.
0: <laughs> you got to have them. You got to have the flown practicals. Otherwise, it don't work, which is why the tour has to have 14 trucks once just for the <laughs> I
2: I'm not disagreeing with a single ounce of that. Again,
1: oh. I don't have anything
2: to add. I know nothing about, this I know is, nothing this about is lighting. E-
0: episode three, and Connor so talks about I'm, lanterns way too damn much.
2: <laughs> dude, that's the point. We are putting the deep into deep dive. Like it's a deep, the, the podcast title lets you oh, know what you're
1: truly. getting.
2: I love a good old fashioned drunk wedding. It's just, As do it's I. just nice. It's just nice mm-hmm. to see the lads there. They're, this is a obviously a, a a reprise, a recall to the story of tonight that we had. I like that this, because this, this kind of just happened a few songs ago. So if you're watching this um, live, it, it's like 20 minutes ago that this happened. So it's not too far in the back of your memory for your first-time audience, your first-time viewers. And they'll pick up that this is a very familiar um, kind of tune that they're listening to. And there's not even, I put in my, in my notes, which I don't ever really put, there's not loads to analyze here until Burr shows up. But the lads are there, they're drinking, they're, uh, Alex is showing off his ring, they're making jokes to him about how he's never going to be free again. And they're just, it's, it's kind of like another last good day kind of thing. They're just having uh, another really good evening with each other as a group of friends, drinking, taking the piss out of each other, having a, having a good time.
0: Mm-hmm. I've I've got a few things to talk about here before Burr comes in. Sure. It's all about Lawrence, man. Cause uh I think they're doing something here. The 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 the, the people that made this play, I think they know what's up because Lawrence is all around this wedding. And I get it, they're friends. But you also have to consider the possibility of some kind of romantic relationship between Hamilton and Lawrence. And Lawrence is conspicuously present at these very important moments in Hamilton's life. And he's blocked to be next to Hamilton when it isn't necessary for him to be there. He dances with him when it could just be Hamilton and Burr dancing together. He's very, very giddy, very happy for Hamilton, but he's also just conspicuously present in this section of the show that is all about love and the various forms of it. And here's the kicker for me. Lawrence and Hamilton have a detail on their boots that the two of them get and the other guys don't. So you have... And they've both got similar ponytails. Now, so you have the the ability, if you choose to, from the costumers and HMU, you have visual cues to connect these guys together if you choose to, right? And however intimate or not their relationship was, there was something there. And I appreciate that the play lets you take from it what you will and and bring to it what you choose to do, do you know what i'm saying like i like the, the the implication is there only as strong as it is in history does that does that make sense i really yeah no no i make not making sense at so, all
2: so we're gonna reverse roles a little bit when i kind of had i really kind of had kind of thoughts about how angelica kind of breaks up her reintroduction or her retelling of the introduction of of Hamilton to Eliza.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: I have always chalked up Lauren's presence um, and his his is kind of just always being around. I always chalked it up to two things. And so I think the the addition of maybe a romantic connection there is very interesting. And if we ever get Lin-Manuel on the pod, probably question number one. Now that you've brought it up, because that's like such an interesting way to view it. I've always thought that Lawrence is front and center because he's historically accurately the actual friend of Hamilton. Right, mm-hmm. Mulligan and Lafayette. Lafayette's not even here, man. Like, Lafayette's not. This is that, like, yeah. right? So, historically, right, he's actually Hamilton's friend, at least more so than the other two. And so, I've always thought that that is maybe why they choose Lawrence, just to keep the historically accurate people at least a little bit happy. But I've also chalked it up as like, he's the one that needs to die. And so, he's the one we need to like. Mm-hmm. So, he's around. Because he needs to die later and we need to be upset with that. So because he doesn't have mm-hmm. a lot of time on stage actually singing, right? He needs to be on stage just doing things so we don't forget about him when he dies later. Because the other two don't. And so I, I've always just chalked up to very simply, we need to like Lawrence because Lawrence is going to die. And so how mm-hmm. do we like Lawrence? They just put him on the stage a whole bunch doing funny things and drinking with Hamilton. So so I've never chalked up to any kind of romantic connection, but I can definitely see it being there
0: yeah i I do like that because i mean coming at it from just a just a pure uh view of stagecraft right those are everything you just suggested is what you should do to to build a a musical right and make you care about this character to a certain degree I am kind of bending one of my own rules of objective analysis right because I am bringing some things to this musical that that exist outside the, the borders of his pages and I'm and I'm acknowledging that because I'm bending my rule a little bit here but but I'm doing it because I when I watch the show I feel the the people on stage I feel the creative team I feel them speaking to what I know of history right and I and I and and so I see the implication and but I don't like, I don't think that anyone else that doesn't see the implication that I do, I think they still get the emotional payoff, right? Because you do feel the friendship that you're talking about. You feel the platonic love, even if you don't know any of the, uh, you know, the, the stories of their romantic love, right? So you're not actually missing anything out. Um, but yeah, I just, there's, I don't know. I just, there's, there, there's something there to quote another show. Just, I just, feel, I feel it in my bones.
1: Yeah. I, I, <laughs> but but I, I, I don't, I don't feel I also, it. I've I never seen it, make...
2: but I, I, if you see it, then that's, that's the whole point. Right. Like, again, it's like, like you mentioned earlier, it's partly just how you feel about it and how you perceive it.
0: Right. Right. And I, th- and I think that that's another it's just one of those 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 currents that, that run through the river of why this show is so successful. And so and so brilliant. Right. Is that you can walk away with different experiences, but they'll be equally impactful. Right. You know, like you can have someone, you know, see the see the show right? and, and, and go, oh, his friend died. And someone else will see the show and like, did you know that the letters he wrote to Lawrence, <laughs> but those two people can get the exact same thing out of the show. And and that's what I love about it.
2: Absolutely. I, I I really don't have much to add before Burr comes in here. Other than I just love the, the bros being bros aspect of it. Right.
0: I do too. Let's bring Burr in. Let's though. bring Burr. In I, this I, think time, I think it's time for Burr. Can you get in here, please? Burr? This
2: is where things get hilarious because <laughs> Burr comes in. Last episode he had his friendship jacket or whatever I said. Mm-hmm. He's there, he's going to rise up, but not that not not like he's not part of the crew. He's not part of the crew mm-hmm. cuz he shows up here and everyone just bullies the shit out of him, which is awesome. And then Oh yeah. and then Hamilton, I find it interesting like tells his friends like, "Hey, look. He notices Burr." Right? Burr kind of walks in. He's being a little coy. He doesn't like walk up to the group of friends. He just kind of shows up, and Hamilton goes up to Burr. It's like, well, if it isn't Aaron Burr, right? Like mm-hmm. that. I always found that interesting that Hamilton is the one to to really go out of his way at his own wedding to be like, oh, Burr's here, cool, that's exciting.
0: Mm. I think that that deep down he's a respectful guy. Like he doesn't necessarily want to be nasty to Burr. I think that he he digs at him, but yeah, I can I can see him going to greet him.
1: Yeah,
2: I I. I don't get the sense that Hamilton wouldn't do that. I just think it's an interesting choice to, to really contrast Hamilton's kind of respect of Burr, right? And the other friends, like, it's an opposite thing, right? They're the foils mm-hmm. for each mm-hmm. other. The other friends have no respect for Burr, or at least are, like, right. willing to just take the piss out of him the whole time. And Hamilton shows that respect for Burr, right? He doesn't, he doesn't right. at all participate in the, except for your lieutenant colonel comment, which is, which is fun right but otherwise mm-hmm. like he doesn't actively participate in the bullying of burr if you will
0: well i think another thing going on here is the the guys dancing right doing the hip sway oh, yeah. while hamilton refrains i think there is a, a maybe an a, an attempt here to age hamilton a little start aging him up away from youth and may, maybe being so cordial with burr is part of that further distancing him from what what are now we we should consider his adolescence friends maybe
2: i don't know he's definitely the more adult and respectful person but it tracks because because the last time all these guys bullied burr like hamilton was just trying to find out who burr is and and what he's about and all that so it tracks with what happened before as a reprise right everyone's behaving Mm -hmm. in the same kind of way but it's just immediate Right, Hamilton's like, I didn't think that you would make it. To be sure, I came to say congratulations. Spit a verse, Burr! like it's just from the back, like off the top rope. Mm-hmm. Like they're not even in this conversation, right? You was there was like it's just very funny how these guys like in- instantly <laughs> like they don't even let Hamilton have a conversation with them. There's like they're just like from from the background, just just I don't know. It's just so so funny. And then Hamilton is like, ignore them. Congrats to you, Lieutenant Colonel. So there's two things here. You're mm-hmm. going to break down the lieutenant colonel bit because I don't know anything about it. But the I wish I had your command instead of manning George's journal part of this is another mm-hmm. little insight. Now, Hamilton's not going in depth here about all his hopes and dreams or whatever, right? But you you got earlier Burr in his narration saying Hamilton still wants to fight, not right? So you you get mm-hmm. that background from Hamilton. then here he's like, I wish I had your command. And instead also shouts shout, to shout, shout my two from last. Pour one out. For the two people from last episode who <laughs> tried to hire Hamilton to man their journals, only for Hamilton to <laughs> to not want to man somebody else's journal. Nathaniel Green and Henry Knox.
0: And Henry Knox. Pour yep. one out for those two. Pour one out. Because
2: Hamilton's still manning someone's journal. <laughs> All right. Lieutenant Colonel bit. Apparently, this is a bit of a dig. I did not notice. Explain.
0: So, if if I'm correct on the timeline, yeah, because Hamilton, when he was in active duty, he was a captain, right? Um, and he was the head of an artillery corps. And if I am, and this is this is how I've always interpreted this moment, just based on if I'm right about this, as his aide, as Washington's aide de camp. My understanding is that Hamilton's role, uh, or his rank, was Colonel, okay? Just because of his position, in, right? In because, turn,
2: Washington Spies, which is a show that covers this same kind of period, but from the point of view of mm-hmm. other people, he is Colonel Hamilton. Every He's only in like six or seven episodes. It really doesn't focus on his... right. Like, like we mm-hmm. said, there's, there's so many other people that are involved in this, right? But Hamilton yeah. is in there at the end, especially with Yorktown, because he's so involved. And he's referred to as mm-hmm. Colonel Hamilton. So, Great. so okay. I don't know if that so, timeline tra- 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 tracks back this far, but it probably does.
0: Well, it, yeah, because he wouldn't... It would be hard for him to be in the rooms he would have to be in if he was still a captain. It's the thing, right? So in this, in, in this scene, one, one thing you've got to understand about uh, uh, the American military, even if in its fledgling status is that it's, it's a, it's a slave to tradition, um, and, and routine and practice. Okay. So all of these people being associates of each other, being like, let's, let's call them, let's call them friends for lack of a better word, because Burr is not in the club. Sure. But Burr and Hamilton are friendly with each other. I think we can all like, we see that. Uh, Yeah. Absolutely. Right. They don't salute each other ever. They ne- no one salutes anyone, okay? So you don't know who is above someone else, right? All you know is that some people have a command, some people don't. No one brings up rank except for Hamilton. And at this point, Hamilton's a colonel. So him referring to Burr as Lieutenant Colonel reminds Burr that he's less than Hamilton at this point. And that's kind of shitty. And
2: here I was thinking that they just put that in there because it rhymes with journal. <laughs> to, be hon- to be honest, that's like I just always chalked it up to that.
0: And they may have, right? But, but what I'm but like there's...
2: There's layers to it. Like you could interpret it a different way
0: but there's layers to it like we know that we know that burr and hamilton have been chippy at each other before right and again talking about humanizing burr making him an empathetic character like is this is this hamilton is, is this hamilton shitting on burr for only being a lieutenant colonel you know be, but at the same time it's also true that hamilton wishes he had burr's job i think that that is also true
2: Right, it's a a dig and a truth.
0: It's just a very complicated moment, right? And the distinction is minor, okay? Burr is one rank below Hamilton, only one, right? So it's possible that this is indeed genuine. I'm just saying it's something to consider that stood out to me that's all
2: right yeah and then burr burr and hamilton kind of kind of go back and forth here burr no you don't hamilton yes i do and then burr says yeah. now be sensible from what i hear right and i i think maybe that adds to it too like burr's hearing anecdotally of this right he's not mm-hmm. in cons like you you get the sense here that he comes to the wedding after a while of not really being in and around hamilton's nuclear bubble Right. From what I hear, you've Mm -hmm. made yourself indispensable. And you mentioned earlier at this point that he might be like the second most important person in in the war. And I'm sure you could have a million historians all pick a different set of most important people at any point in the war. Right. But it's clear that Burr uh, perceives Hamilton as indispensable, not to him, but but to Washington. Like he is indispensable at this point to the war effort, regardless of whether he has a command
0: yeah I mean that's just true like when he when he says later you know I've taken over uh the general's correspondence that's that's true like he started he 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 stopped signing letters so that people wouldn't know if it was from him or from the general, and eventually they just assumed they were from the two of them. people assumed they were from the two of them
2: right yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how Hamilton is also kind of done up and <laughs> adapted in other like any other show that I've seen Hamilton in as a character, he's referenced that way that he's he's yeah. like he's indispensable from Washington's orbit.
0: Yeah, so like I do I do get the sense that Burr has been away. I know that he stayed he stayed on the front lines for a long time. Um it's uh another thing I I don't think he gets enough credit for is that he was he was actually he was a he was a dutiful soldier uh, and and a good commander. Um
2: He also didn't uh, go to the wedding in real life. Like, this is an adaptive choice to have Burr come in here.
0: You've, well, see, this is where I'm going to take the pure pragmatic stagecraft. You've got to get in to wait for it.
2: Right. Absolutely. Like, you
0: just, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's also just worth (laughs) mentioning. It's just worth kind of mentioning that if we're trying to figure out, like, how Burr's been away for a while, like, that's why. It's because in real life, that's true. Right, and yeah. they're just bringing yeah, yeah, him yeah. back here because I think it's it's good, but it, it's good to add the the friendly bits here in the in the discussion, but also like yeah, you got to get to wait for it, and so you got to bring Burr back somewhere.
0: Right, because I mean the um, it it goes to like your <laughs> getting into wait for it this way supports your note about what could be the alternative title for the musical so like it's just having the having the the having these songs catapult into each other is much more dynamic much more interesting has better more momentum right Uh, than just than just doing it doing songs in a vacuum right i'm trying to find
2: the note of where i alternatively titled the the play we'll get to it i can't see it
0: well i hope you didn't lose it because i thought it was hilarious (laughs) <laughs>
2: um, oh i know i remember doing it i just can't remember what i did okay well we'll find it we'll find it when we get there <laughs>
0: we'll be fine um, we'll be here fine. we but yeah Oh, sorry we just yeah i think it's just a very simple thing if we got to get him on here so that we can make our way into wait for it
2: yeah we we get before we get to wait for it we get all this this chat about burr's burr burr is the mistress my my second favorite mm. hamilton take <laughs> which is just true it's just true right he is the unmarried mm-hmm. person in this thing. Just never thought about it that yeah. way. And so we get, through the, through the bullying of, <laughs> of everyone that's not Hamilton, um, we get Burr to kind of coyly admit that he does have uh, somebody that he's romantically involved with. Hamilton shoes everything away in a very genuine, kind way. Again, Lin-Manuel's line delivery of like, it's alright, Burr, I wish you'd brought this girl with you tonight, Burr. It sounds very genuine and heartwarming, yeah. and a genuine friendliness, there's a genuine friendliness there, to the way he delivers that line. Where he's like, almost like, oh man, that would have been so nice for you to also participate with the person that you love in this celebration.
0: hmm Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Lin Manuel's "Oh shit" is one of my favorite line deliveries in the entire show.
2: Yeah, he, the Two way words. he combines the talking because again, these are so many more lines that are almost just talking, right? The the talking, mm-hmm. the singing, and the acting kind of blending together for his delivery is is incredible in all of these, in all of these lines. Burr Burr explains that she's married, and then to a married to a British officer, and that's where you get the "Oh shit." Like a very funny, right? And then Burr goes back to being Burr, right? Like, congrats again, smile more. I'll see you on the other side of the war. And then Hamilton, like, I will never understand you, dude. Right? Like, what are you doing? Like, go get her. What are you waiting for? Right? And this will come up later. Like, what are you waiting for? What do you stall for? We won the war. What Mm -hmm. was it all for? Right, man, I'm killing this. And so that comes up later right so the what are you waiting for here uh, is important because it's going to be called back later but it's just again we we start creating this division between the two that he just doesn't understand because he just went and got a Skylar sister he just did it he showed up to the ball mm-hmm. he ended up not with Angelica but with a Skylar sister he wanted it and he went and got it and so what is Burr doing like he doesn't understand <laughs>
0: And I think that this this punctuates they don't understand each other, honestly. And I and I think that a a significant portion of the rest of the show is going to be exploring that reality and its effects on the both of them that they just cannot fathom how each other work.
2: Yeah, it it just helps. It helps for later when we start getting the deeper divisions between the two to start having them here in this very friendly and heartwarming moment right even though it's not historically accurate like burr coming here and being like hey i took the time out to come and say congratulations right like that's very nice of burr to do he doesn't need to do that right hamilton Mm -hmm. seeming sincere in his wish that burr could have participated with the the person he loves in this celebration also i loved hamilton's lack of judgment right he doesn't judge burr for the woman being married to a british officer Mm -hmm. that's not an issue for him he's just happy that that burr's happy and like he doesn't maybe maybe there's not enough time in the in the musical for it but i do like that from hamilton too that he 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 just respects burr here like yeah sure like oh shit but like yeah that's your thing dude
0: well and just the fact that burr says it in the first place man like
2: yeah also like shut the fuck up burr come on man don't don't associate yourself with british officers publicly man that's bad bad idea
0: yeah but he, but he does like he admits it. Like I am, I, I mean, he like if uh, imagine if the English found out, right? Yeah, you know? No good. very bad. Like Berg,
2: spy opportunities be, galore here.
0: Well, there's only one spy in the war, right? Remember, <laughs> just Hercules Mulligan is the only <laughs> there's one. There's only one. There's only one spy. There's one spy. We have two listeners. Yeah. Uh. So. <laughs> So saying this, you know, like this is indicative of a a real level of confidence that he places in Hamilton. I think that it's actually really striking.
2: Yeah, I I forgot to put it in the notes. It's always like, shut up, dude. Come on, man. Like, don't be associating, like, (laughs) right? You're now a prime target for spying. Right? Like, this woman could be playing you for information. When the British find out about it, she could honeypot you into getting arrested. Like, come on, man. Like, be a little. Right I don't I don't even know if it's the I don't even know if it's the discussion with Hamilton that catches me off guard a little bit. It's also like that Burr doesn't seem to see and it turns out that this situation goes fine, but it it seems to me that Burr doesn't quite understand the the vulnerability a, of his position now and how susceptible he might be to spying or arrest or any of those things that that I I can easily see happening in this kind of situation
0: oh he's very much at risk here for sure this is
2: a very at risk situation maybe that's why he's Mm -hmm. only maybe maybe he just never got promoted because washington was like fucking sleeping with the british officer like i can't have him in (laughs) knowing (laughs) important things like what (laughs) all right that's my new headcanon for why (laughs) burr never gets promoted and and hates himself for it. like just
0: What if he he slipped up and told Theodosia state secrets? That's what I mean. Like, maybe this is why
2: Washington, like, get out of my house. I'm talking to Hamilton because he's not sleeping with a (laughs) British officer's wife.
1: Sorry, that's my head cannon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, me. One thing that I appreciate about these two, um, Burr and Theodosia, she stayed married um, to her husband until he died. Um, and it wasn't until then that she and Burr got married. Um, yeah, this situation I
2: mean, turned out totally okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, we're talking about gray degrees of, of ethics and morality here. But I'm, I'm just saying that it turned out like, just let's focus on the positive is I guess what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, it turned out, it turned out fine.
2: I think in a in a recounting of a kind of revolutionary war thing, you're allowed to be a little gray with uh, ethics and morality. Also, that makes it more interesting. I talked a lot in my Bridgerton deep dive about my favorite episode is actually the one that a lot of people didn't like. And I loved it mm-hmm. because it puts all the characters in the gray. That's the best place for characters to be. Right. Because if you just have yeah. perfect characters, that's lame. That's boring. Right? Having having characters that live in the gray and are good people who make bad decisions and bad people who make good choices is far more interesting to, to, to work with as a story.
0: That's particularly what I find interesting about the middle part of Hamilton's life and the middle and late part of Burr's life honestly, is that they both go to the gray and stay there and I, I I'm honestly, I'm t- as like part of the accompaniment thing. Like I'm tempted to prep a biography of Burr thing because it is to me. hit the parts of his life that are not present in this show are the most interesting.
2: Yeah. and I, I think know? Burr would tell you they would have been in this show if Hamilton didn't steal his thunder. But like, I think <laughs> Burr, Burr would have told you that if Hamilton wasn't such a toe rag, then he would have, he would have, <laughs> told you about all of the the fun parts of his life
0: hamilton didn't keep hijacking his right if his
2: hamilton hand. didn't keep showing up and transitioning the, the <laughs> musical for him he would have kept going uh, while we're on burr do we want to move to wait for it
0: i think we should i think we really we really should. we're
2: only at we're only at almost three hours okay all right wait for it i put in my notes i want your thoughts on this I would say that this is the wow, Leslie Odom Jr. is definitely winning a Tony song if the room where it happened didn't exist. Thoughts.
0: I think poor no lowest. Um,
2: I take that as a yes. I'm a variant Yeah,
0: why not both, right? I mean, this I mean, yes, this this song when you first see it is definitely winning a Tony. I think then you see uh in the room where it happened and and then you go, Oh, I was right yeah (laughs) like it was all it's all it's already confirmed in wait for what i like about and then room sorry and then room you go yeah that just put an exclamation point on how right i was in act one what i
2: like about wait (laughs) for it though is i'm gonna use frozen again and i know people are gonna hate me doing that but like let it go is the big song in frozen so Mm -hmm. you're kind of building up to that song right as long as you can do it well you already have so much goodwill in that song because the song itself is so good Right, that your performance—not that it doesn't matter—but your comp- your performance mm-hmm. has the ability to be a little bit weaker because the song carries a lot of the weight as well. Whereas th- mm-hmm. that's to me the room where it happened. It's another top three song for me, maybe top five on a bad day. Like it's another really incredible song, like "Satisfied" that does a lot of heavy lifting and is just so good that that Leslie Odom Jr. takes it from great to off-the-charts incredible. But Wait For It, I don't get the same sense from. I think I think Leslie Odom Jr.'s performance is what takes Wait For It from, a, from an okay, good transition song, a bit of a deep dive into his life a little bit, from that into just this incredible kind of emotionally resonant... I, I don't know how to put it. Because Wait For It goes... I think the gap between where the song is before Leslie Odom Jr. performs it and where it ends up is bigger than in the room where it happens, which is his other kind of big moment.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting take. So like, so, so you're, so like room where it happens. Okay. So, so you're, uh, let me, if I understand you correctly. So, so, so that song like on paper, that song as a song that's a like a perfect 10 for you do you think
2: i think on paper and they serve different functions that's why i always highlight that i can't point out the bad part because some songs are purposely not as good in quotation marks as other songs because they serve a purpose right like like a winter's ball right that's a bottom five song Mm -hmm. it's really it's really short it's just a transition song Right, there's not a lot going on. It's very important. You need it in the in the musical, mm-hmm. right? But it's just not as good in quotation marks on paper as helpless or satisfied. That's the same how I feel. It's gotcha. not that wait for it's not important or not a good song. I love it. I just think it leaves more room for Leslie Odom Jr. to take it to an amazing song, where I think Room Where It Happened can be taken to that level by someone a little less talented. Whereas wait for it, it, it needs it needs that presence of Leslie Odom Jr. to really take it to to what it ends up being in the Disney Plus version of it.
0: I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, is you. that making sense? It, it it is, and it's a very interesting take. So like you're you're saying that of these two songs, like. of of these two songs room where it happens already has a higher floor correct it's 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 a better objective song but like any song done by leslie odom jr is going to have a higher ceiling correct just because of who he is and i i gotta be honest i think i'm with you yeah so it's the it's the gap that's
2: the difference because
0: it's the gap that's the difference yeah because there is a There's a version of this done by Usher on the Hamilton mixtape, right? Oh,
2: I've never, I have no idea.
0: Okay, so here's the thing. Usher is obviously no slouch, okay? Oh, he's an incredible Um, singer. He's an incredible singer. I'm I'm a big fan. But this song is not as good sung by someone other than Leslie Odom. It's just not as good. And that's that's why i'm like i'm real I'm really tracking with your opinion there because I'm saying that about Usher, God damn it, you know what I mean like this is just a powerful performance from Odom jr here It's just amazing, and uh you you mentioned specifically the Disney plus version i uh, so contradictory opinion here number one, this is one of the songs in the show where the close-up camera pays off the most and number two because of who he is as a vocalist it's also the song you need stuff like that the least uh, yes you just yes. you you feel it coming out of him right you don't need the close-up now it comes in clutch makes you feel things gives me goosebumps this entire like section like from helpless on I've got goose pimples all up my arms, but this right here—like you just feel it coming out of him, man. It's amazing. You don't need close-ups at all. You just—you just get it.
2: Yeah. All right. I think we're good on the Leslie Odom Jr. is fucking amazing. that's <laughs> So you can sum mm-hmm. all that mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. into that. Um, in this song, Burr does a lot of things, and it's very, very—they're easy to separate, but they're also so intertwined that it's a little bit difficult to. To make sure that we're doing them all justice. So let's talk, I guess, about his backstory first. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you know what? I lied. Let's talk about Theodosia first, because that's how he starts the song. Star- I lied. I apologize. Uh, he starts with like saying, like, yo, these guys, keep- this dude's in Georgia, and he can keep Georgia, because Theodosia's mine. So it, it keeps with that theme of love we're getting from helpless and satisfied. And this is the song I mentioned earlier in the last podcast where Burr's going to reckon with death a little bit more, and we'll talk about that. But what do you think of Burr's, like, full-on... He's he's fully in in, in in it with Theodosia now, right? He's fully in the mud with this woman.
0: Yeah, I think that this is the...
2: That's also proverbial, like, not in the mud, like, doing adult content.
0: Oh, yeah, for people that don't understand that. In the mud
2: <laughs> is a soccer <laughs> reference, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> it's not like they're in the mud. I'm sure they'd use a bed, but... Just whatever. I just want to. <laughs> hey, we don't know. I, we don't know. It could be in the mud. Look, I'm not saying that they can't do it in the mud. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't know that for a fact. The in the mud reference is a is a saying from soccer that I'm yeah. a, that I'm adapting to this play, much like the play adapts right. thing. Yes. Okay.
0: Exactly. Yeah. We're not gonna we're not gonna mud shame. No, this we don't. A sex positive podcast. We don't mud shame.
2: Mm. I'm I yeah, frankly exactly. I've lived my whole life being against mud shaming. It's a it's something I'm yeah. passionate about.
0: I openly campaigned against it. <laughs> uh so here's so here's what I what I think here what I think is brilliant about this is that for anyone that that wondered and you were one of them right like what's what's Burr doing joining the army like I thought he was going to play it safe you know what's going on I think that this kind of explains and we see other instances of this like this was the thing to do Burr may not be the most diehard patriot, but he wasn't a loyalist, right? So he's going to at least join. I think he is a joiner. But here you get a very clear glimpse into his psychology. As far as he's concerned, if they don't win all the colonies, he, he, he couldn't give a lick. He really couldn't. Like, he is, he's in love. And he, he honestly cares about her so much. Like he could give a monkeys if they actually lose Georgia. And I believe him when he says Oh, that.
2: absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I don't I don't get the sense that he, he he wants the British to win, right? He's enlisted with the 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 American army. Like I think that's all true, and I'm not questioning his intentions. Yeah. But like he is definitely again making him way more susceptible to spying, Burr. Come on. But um. Yeah. He 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 doesn't actually <laughs> care that much, right? If the British mm-hmm. win, he he'll be fine. Maybe question mark. Um. But he just wants to be with Theodosia more than he wants to win the war.
0: Yeah. And I and I really uh piggybacking off of what you just said, I love this line. Uh, there's a reason I'm by her side, when so many have tried. This this could mean this could be two things to me. Number one could have been tried. They they could have tried to be with her. Or is it her that's by his side when so many have tried to be with him? You know, I think it it more means like people have tried to be with Theodosia, including her husband, who's now away. Right. But it also, this whole thing goes to part of Burr's psychology that that seems to suggest that he just is where he is. And he has to deal with it because he's the only thing that he can control. So he, has, he just has to deal with the rest. And of all things that it could make me think of, it makes me think of the stand-up comedian Mike Burbiglia.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. He has,
0: what?
2: Uh, yeah, yes. I know who that is. He, yes, okay.
0: He First of all, he's one of my favorite stand-ups. But he has this, um, he has this story. And I believe it's from the special um, My Girlfriend's Boyfriend. All right. And it's this one line. Um, you can't pick who you love, which is true, but that doesn't make it good.
2: Sure. There's also lines in Game of Thrones that are like that, right? Jamie, Jamie when he's on the road with Brienne um says we when when they're talking about i don't want to spoil it when they're talking about brienne's love interest and Mm -hmm. and and jamie obviously has his own love interest baggage that he's carrying around with him and he he Mm kind of says he he spends a lot of time bullying brienne but in those moments he says look we don't we don't choose who we love and obviously based on game of thrones we know that that's not always a good thing yeah same kind of sentiment there
0: i uh I, I I love that the best I've got to offer is stand up. You're whipping out the G O T Man Up um. <laughs> I mean I
2: don't I don't want to. <laughs> I'd rather whip out like a story that ended well. <laughs> but hey. If you're into if you if you're prone to liking Game of Thrones up until the ending, it the the Jamie and Brienne sequences about love are, are really good.
0: It's pretty damn good stuff, man. But yeah, so I think there's uh, there's a lot going on here that that seems to suggest uh, Burr making a case for his being a victim of his life and a victim of the circumstances he finds himself in, right?
1: Yeah, is kind I,
0: of the, is the the is the feeling I get.
2: So here, I have I have so many com- complicated thoughts. It's clear we're just going to bounce around this song, so let's just do that. What I don't yeah, understand about Burr here, fundamentally, is that he has these lines, like, Hamilton doesn't hesitate, he exhibits no restraint, he takes and he takes and he takes, he keeps winning anyway, changes the game, plays and, the, and he raises the stakes, and then if there's a reason he seems to thrive when so few survive, then goddammit, and that goddammit is the, is the added bit for when he's talking about Hamilton, right? So that bit, it, <laughs> he emphasizes that little bit of animosity towards Hamilton. Um, I'm willing to wait for it. But you already know it. You just said it, right? He is. He thrives because he doesn't hesitate and exhibits no restraint. Like, what do you mean? Like what he knows. He To me, I get this sense he knows why Hamilton is successful, and he either can't or won't do that. So he doesn't want to believe that.
0: I take this line to have a different meaning. Perfect. I think that what Burr is saying here is that in the future, he will see the reason Hamilton has been kept alive by destiny.
2: Yeah, I'm taking it as very literal. Like it's yeah. not destiny or fate or anything. Like he's saying like, Hamilton doesn't hesitate. He exhibits no restraint. He takes and he takes and he takes. And then immediately wonders why he thrives. But you just kind of, to me, you just said why. That's the difference between the two of you. Is that,
0: it's rem- is that first It's bit. reminiscent of Angelica yeah. and her confusion. Yeah,
2: is, to me it's reminiscent of that. I can totally see how it, it, there's, there's fate or destiny involved. And he's waiting for a kind of God-given reason. Or he's waiting for, for, for someone to explain this to him. But I think he already knows. I think, he, I, to me, he just said it. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading, taking it too literally, but I, to me, he just said it and doesn't want to know or doesn't want to believe that because he either doesn't want to or can't do it.
0: I don't I don't necessarily think that you are. I'm just kind of rapping out loud with you here because there's also this great comparison here, um, and, and part of it, part of it you mentioned um, between the uh, well, the, the first thing is the life doesn't discriminate, death doesn't, we got to talk about that. But what but what's present in this song right is burr when he's talking about himself it's all life doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints it's all death doesn't right but when he talks about Hamilton it's he that's 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 the difference he's saying that you know he's he's so frustrated and so angry because he realizes and I think that he He realizes that, and I think he envies that Hamilton is a proactive force in his own life, whereas Burr is the subject to these more cosmic forces, right? But he's defending that. He's he's admitting it, and he's also saying, no, I'm not. I'm not standing still. I'm lying in wait. He's doing the same thing that Angelica did. He's saying one thing, pleading for you to believe it, and then contradicting it.
2: Yeah, I, I get the same kind of feelings. Like he, like Angelica, just doesn't isn't, isn't quite fully in tune with their, with their way of thinking about this. It's very contradictory, right? It seems like they go back and forth. He goes back and forth with himself. I, I just get the sense that deep down he knows all of this and just can't figure out what to do about it.
0: It's interesting that we have this moment with him and we have what could be a compelling epiphany. And it will not be until the middle of act two. Um, when he starts acting more like when Hamilton. Burr
2: invents campaigning.
0: <laughs> yeah, when he invents when he it. He
2: invents yeah. Hey, you know, we're gonna get there when we get there. Fucking good on you, Burr. I want to know what elections yeah. were like before you were allowed to campaign. Like, what, what, just what was it? I don't know. Anyways, we'll talk about <laughs> it later. We're already at three we'll hours. We'll talk about it later. Um, what I love about this song too is obviously the the repetition of some of the more resonant elements. Right, love like blank doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes and we keep blank anyway. It's very, mm-hmm. it's a very kind of existential way of thinking. I think if you knew nothing about Hamilton or even really didn't enjoy the musical, this is like something you would take out of it and be like, man, I really love the way Burr was kind of thinking about that. And one of the reasons I love it so much is because it's so true to life. Most people, and this is why I think I like it in my characters, in my media, most people live somewhere in the gray. The gray is a big spectrum, Right. But every good person makes loads of bad decisions. Every bad person makes loads of, of, of good decisions. And it's all based on perspective. And everyone lives in the gray somewhere. Right? And so having Burr mm-hmm. express this, like, love doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. The sinners are, are falling in love. The saints are falling in love. Love is just as meaningful as impactful and can be just as destructive to everyone. Same with death. Death doesn't discriminate. Be a sinner. Be a saint. You're going to die right It doesn't mm-hmm. discriminate between the good guys and the bad guys, and what I like about this other than the fact that it it's kind of like an existential life thing that you can take from this is it really highlights burrs burrs kind of wanting to play both sides right He doesn't really care about the <laughs> he doesn't really care if the if the if the Americans win or lose as much as the other people care right he doesn't care whether the saints win or the sinners win his love doesn't discriminate either way
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. I think at this point he would hope for kind treatment from the English, right? But being an officer, he would probably get it, you know. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that his his duplicitousness is still present here. Um, his his Janus-ness is still here.
2: Yeah. He also gives us a little bit of a, a breakdown of his of his parents, right? His mother mm-hmm. was a genius, his father commanded respect. When they died, they left no instructions, just a legacy to protect, which is interesting. Because this is really the only time he brings up the legacy aspect of it. And I'm what's interesting, he doesn't go into detail about what that legacy is like being a, a genius and commanding respect. Like, is that the legacy? Is it that simple, or is there more there that we're meant to intuit? Like, it's an interesting line for sure.
0: I think that we're, we're supposed to in, uh, intuit his intellectual pursuits as part of that legacy. Um, maybe, maybe his father was a lawyer. Maybe that's why he goes to law school. Um, I don't know, but I, I intuited that to, as a callback to, it was my parents dying wish before they passed.
2: Right. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a good call up or callback. Sorry. They're, they're definitely related. They're definitely related now that you say it for sure. I've just always found the line yeah. a little bit interesting cause it doesn't go into detail. You just, it just leaves it to right. the audience to make their connections on their own, which I like. Um it just means we have to discuss it.
0: <laughs> yeah, the thread, you know, the the thread that I'm drawing between those two points is not high test line to be sure, but it'll 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 catch a fish. You know, it's just that's where I see, that's where I see the connection there.
2: Um yeah, and then one of my favorite moments from Burr as well is at the very end. Um uh, I love the way at the very very end where he does the wait for it and then makes everyone wait for the line delivery. I really like that that kind of little just call out to to the actual literal words that are in the, in the song. Um, but he mm-hmm. says, if there's still a reason I'm still, a, or if there's a reason why I'm still alive, when so many have died, then I'm willing to. And that's when he makes you wait for it. Right. But it's a very, mm-hmm. this is where he grapples with death a little bit. Right. The same way some of our characters were doing it earlier. Right. Like if there's a reason, why am I still alive? So many people have died. So many people that love me have died. Right, so many people in this war effort have died. There's just a lot of dead people, and I'm not one of them. Why is that? Why am I here? What am I doing? And I, I like that kind of not existential dread, but his kind of comparing that to to where he is in his life and what what he's gonna do from here.
0: Yeah, it, it, there's definitely some existential pondering. Pondering there, is a better right? word. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also agree that it's not dread. I just I th- think you know there is some there is some curiosity there. I. Look forward to discussing dear Theodosia with you because of everything you just said, because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to discussing whether or not that the discussion, the, the debate, the, the curiosity that we witness happen in his head here, right? The, 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 the reflecting on the abstract concept of death and the very real concept, if it ever came to pass. He is in the middle of a war, after all. I, I I'm curious. Like after studying, dear Theodosia, do we think that that's ever resolved? I look forward to discussing that sometime soon.
1: Uh, yeah, to
2: be honest, I look forward to discussing the the rest of the musical. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I tweeted. I, tweet, <laughs> I, mean, I tweeted last yeah. night that like doing the research and the notes for this and like doing this is is slowly become one of my favorite parts of every week. Like it's just such a joy to to talk about Hamilton for three hours.
0: Oh, mine too! It's a blast. I want to touch on the choreo real uh, quick. If touch I may. on the
2: choreo, man. Deep I dive. Am go- let's let's deep. dive
1: deep
0: into some choreo. So here's the thing: this is some of the simplest, uh, just in terms of number of moves and positions. Um, it's some of the most stoic choreography in the show, and it's. it's it's subtle and elegant it's poised right there's there's a lot going on here that i love that i think needs to be called out number one we have shed the uh costume additions from earlier in the sequence right we don't have the frocks for the wedding we don't have any jackets right we just have the what's called the base costume which is those the cream uh vests and the um the fitting pants What I like about in this scene is you can really see how the men and women both have a, an appearance approaching androgyny, but not getting strictly to it. We, we just have a, we've just muted slightly everybody's, um, form and, and made it kind of cohesive. Right. So like we're in the dark in a chair you you just see someone with a really well-built body. You may have to look closely to see if they're a man or a woman, right? So they so in a way they become this just stoic group that that is looking at Burr. And I get the feeling that their presence on stage and and their their stoic nature, number one I get the feeling that he's talking to the cast as much as he's talking to the audience. And number two, it feels like Burr's on trial. Just the way they're positioned and the way they behave. I feel like Burr is being examined here by them. I've always got the sense,
2: too. Just the way they're set up in the four corners, like Mm -hmm. like looking directly at where his position on the stage is. It It really seems like these mythical kind of people like almost beyond the veil. Maybe they're maybe they're maybe they're all the people he's referencing who have died. Maybe they're his maybe they're 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 a representative for God and his judgment like whatever it is. You definitely get the sense that he's these people are analyzing him or he's speaking to mm-hmm. these people or these people are are the ones who will judge him for for what he does from here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I get that feeling as well. Um another nice very small touch when he says Hamilton, they look off stage left where Hamilton just exited. And I think that that, number one, he says Hamilton, so they got to look at him. But two, Hamilton's hijacking this the show again. Right? Because Hamilton's in the wings. And now the people on stage, they're focused on him, right? So now, oh, so now let's think about Hamilton. Okay, we'll look at him. Then they come back to Burr. Um, and the choreo like really doesn't break out into anything large until the end of the number when it breaks out as well, working its way to the coda and the button. I just think it's it's it it's a good example of how choreography does not have to be. What did I miss at the top of Act Two? Absolutely. To to be well disciplined and well done, right? It does, and I promise you, some of the things that they do in this number, they may not look difficult but they are right because just holding your position can be very very difficult depending on what it is and what you've just
1: done well, and what makes leslie jr breath.
2: so efficient and it's the same thing i'm trying to talk about lim danwell miranda and his line deliveries they don't overact it mm, mm-hmm.
1: right they yeah, don't overdo absolutely. it he
2: doesn't overact this moment right he meets it exactly where it needs to be met and that's not with a bunch of fanfare and fireworks and people dancing around and all the i don't know how else to put it i don't know a lot of theater terms right but that's not what this song needs burr burr only needs himself center of the stage with these four people in their chairs and that's what this song requires to make it the best it could possibly be and that's what that's what they do and that's and, and burr lives up to that moment especially leslie odom jr
0: yeah absolutely he nails it i you know this is just personal preference but for me um, I' I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, of watching people cry on stage for some reason. Um, I actually think that that's, that sometimes can be very easy to do sometimes. you know, This is not a universal statement and it's just it's just my personal preference. Sometimes it's necessary. I'm not saying it's whatever. For me, what I find much more compelling is watching someone force themselves not to cry, but they want to so damn bad. You know what I mean? Like that, I think, is a more complicated thing to act. And I think that he's one of those actors where he can do that thing where you can see these multiple over layered emotions like lapping on top of each other. And it, and it just works really, really well, like you said, because of him. I know we're getting back into just he's the greatest territory, but he just is, man. He's, it's just, oh, it's so good. He, he, he packs so much into such simple deliveries right i love it
2: all right i think i'm good i know i'm not gonna feel that way when i edit this but at this moment i think i've covered everything i want to cover for 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 wait for but also all of these
0: i'm gonna be so sad scrubbing this audio it's gonna take forever (laughs) (laughs) uh you and you and me both uh i'd love to mention the uh the playlist i made in the outro if you'll if you'll allow me
2: let's do it let's just do you want to just let's just hop into the outro then before we get there anywhere people can find you on the internet anything you want to plug or mention the floor is yours
0: a couple things thank you yes first of all again i'm connor you can find me on the internet at vectorcat.com that's with K's.
2: The link is also in and the show notes.
0: The link is in the show notes. Excellent. Another thing, and I guess I should post a link. Uh, maybe we'll get this in the show notes too. But right now, it's in um, it's in Bradley's Discord. If you're a member, I made a playlist of songs that are like my musical shorthand for looking at the music in Hamilton. Uh, I have not called. Lin Manuel Miranda to ask him what his influences were. This is just me as a person who likes music. Uh, this is the music that I hear in Hamilton. Well, when we I'm get saying. him
2: on the pod, we'll ask him. That'll be easy.
0: Yes, yes, we'll ask him. Um, but it's a lot of good stuff. And and as far as I can tell, like it's it, it that I hear this music in Hamilton, and I've been I've been mentioning these references occasionally. So I thought like we should have a work cited playlist right so i've made that um it's on spotify um you can download it listen to it um and it's really good it's not safe for work i wouldn't put it on with your your kids in the car um but it kind of but it runs a gamut from the beatles to black star to beyonce to uh gilbert and sullivan so yeah there's all kinds of stuff on here so if uh if y'all enjoy it uh send us an email let me know so yeah, so that's that. And what about you, Bradley?
2: Um, I think here's good to find me on the internet. Uh, In the outro, I kind of have all the Let's Dive Deep stuff. So thank you everyone for joining us today on our Deep Dive. Just a reminder before we let you go that you can head to Twitter at Let's Dive Deep. And you should. I should put the word should in this outro. You should head to Twitter and follow at Let's Dive Deep so we can have a chat there about Hamilton so you can get notified and all that fun stuff um, for when the new pods come out. And our email address is Pod at gmail.com. Now, Hamilton's a newer podcast. The Bridgerton folks email me all the time about everything. So many thoughts and opinions come from the Bridgerton crew, so I can do an unlimited amount of Bridgerton kind of mid-season episode so if you are listening to this podcast and you have thoughts about what we just talked about if you have anything you'd like to discuss if you're like wow these two idiots just completely missed this whole thing this is what i feel (laughs) send us that email right we're not at the point yet where we're doing q a episodes we're gonna have a few episodes kind of fun stuff in between acts one and two and then hopefully a few at the end Um, but if you send us material to kind of bring up and chat about that would be awesome so feel free to do that Otherwise, in the next episode, we will be discussing songs 14 through 17, Stay Alive, 10 Dual Commandments, Meet Me Inside, and That Would Be Enough. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcatcher of choice. Leave us those five-star reviews. Thank you for listening, and we will see you in the next one.